The Hit Mix 107.5 FM The Power Station The Power Station With Colin Curtis
It's all gone wrong, it's all gone Pete Tong, nothing's coming through. Uh, and as usual, and whenever you get a guest in, there has to be a, a possibility of a late kickoff, and that's what we've had today. A uh, little bit of a tech issue, but we're back online now, and it's Colin Curtis, and it's, of course, the Friday Night Soul Series special. And tonight's guest is Andy Tats Taylor, who I'll introduce in a minute. But um, we've had Steve Plum, we've had um, you know, Tim Ashi Bendy, we've had. Uh, you know, Everybody who's anybody so far, and we just continue. In fact, uh, tonight is Andy. Uh, next month is going to be John Corliss from over there in Lincoln. I've seen John a couple of times just recently. And then Charlie Reese, who goes back all the way uh, to me throwing him out of my own car on the way to the Mecca. If you hadn't got your petrol money, then you, you didn't come with me. It was That was just the way it was. And then... Uh, you know, I don't have many heroes as such as DJs, but this guy was an absolute hero. Brian 45 Phillips, that's coming up in 17th of November. And uh, then Tim Ashibanda is rejoining me after 22nd. Now he's a tour, a touring radio star. He's, he's like, like goes on to, just as a guest. And now Michael Parkinson's gone. I can see there's an opportunity uh, appearing for somebody in that direction. But we kicked off tonight with... Um, just two or three of my own thing choices to get us moving in. Um, and Andy has some history with Blackpool Mecca. We're going to hear all about that, all about the stories, um, you know, in the States and all the rest of it. So uh, we'll go through that. But we kicked off tonight with the, the names on this record, you know, just make it even more important to me. I mean, MGM Records, which, of course, Keith Mitchell and myself were digging away there in Bradford Market at the biggest drop ever in the UK of uh, MGM and Verve Records at the time of the torch and eventually even copies of the Salvadors came out of there. But that was Marlene Mars and Head and Shoulders and uh, Bert de Quato uh, not only wrote it but produced it as well. And uh, you know, brilliant version by Patty Young but I've still got a soft spot for that one. And then we back to Blackpool Mecca as we moved on with the record that originally came out on Sound Dimension and I picked up from uh, Mr. Anderson for about two quid, three quid. Um, Jack Ashford, Lorraine 
Wayne Chandler, everybody's on there and there can be a better way. Big favourite of Bully as well and uh, just sounding absolutely brilliant again in 2023, whatever the year is. And then a record that was part of the change of Blackpool, like a part of a kind of different feel, a different production, a different tempo. And that was, of course, um, Get Yourself Together, Brothers by Choice and um, Mercury Records. Good evening, Mr. Taylor. Uh, good evening, Colin. Real pleasure to be here. Do you know, I never knew that it was pronounced Bert de Quatto. Oh, you've got... I've yeah. been calling I'm, Bert de Cotux for yeah, ever. Bert de Cotux, yes. Uh, but, and, well, I went to grammar school, Andy. That's when, that's the difference. I should have gone, but unfortunately... Yeah. Uh, even I, I was banned from Russian and banned from French. And any foreign languages I was banned from for some reason. Uh, I think it was called taking too much of the uh, urine out of the teacher. But, that, you know, that's the way it went. Yeah, well... So, yes, Bert... De Quato, De Cotox, whichever way you want to do it. I mean, he was involved in so many oh, fantastic records. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and particularly, you're right through that period where it's a change in the 70s, all the things on Columbia and everything that yeah, just happened. Just if you saw his name, you bought the you record. You brought the record and that's what we did, you know. Um, exactly. Fantastic. So so let's let's go all the way back. Um, let's go right back to the start before we start playing, playing your records. But let's go all the way back to the start. How did you hear... First of all, where are you from? Uh, I'm from uh, Kirby Nashville, near Mansfield. Okay. Uh, you see, that's already a setback. Yeah, it's it, in you know, life, yeah. For I've, most I've people. done really well to be uh, here you, now. It's you unbelievable. Know, my, my old friend Phil Kingswood, you know, the, 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 he's, I think he's the prince uh, magnet now of, of Mansfield. Um, but, yeah, Mansfield was a place I'd heard about. And, in fact, Mansfield Town, I went to watch him play Crew Alexandra in those very early days. And one of the Mansfield players kicked the ball over the over the... Well, they called it a standard crew. It wasn't really straight onto the train and off the ball went. And that, that was it for about 15 minutes because they didn't have more than one ball in them days. Yeah. But, um... You should have so gone to Man City Ground. Mansfield. So, so, how did black music get into your life? How did soul music get into your life? Um, probably, uh, I was going to do it in the next few records, actually, after after the first three. But, um, from my brother, um, like a lot of people, Motown, Sharkbusters 3. And, uh, I was into all sorts of music, but, um... I started to play that album more than anything and just sort of fell in love with Motown. So was your brother bringing records into the house? Um, not really. Yeah, yeah, it was. But, you know, everything, the Beach Boys, Beatles. Um, there was a bit Northern. Uh, I remember there was Barefooting and Harlem Shuffle. Um, but he sort of, he's never been on the scene, not really interested in it. But he it, it loves music. So, it, you know, it comes from there. And my family love music. Um, and I think you sort of get that from your family. Um, you know, if you see, my, my dad loved Mario Lanza, so he loved, you know, the big voices. And I could see, you know, I, I got the emotion, what he got from that, which, yeah, yeah. you know, he sort of, it, it gravitates through. I think I think it's been amazing, really, over the years, how um, working-class English people have, have, have been, you know, affected by black music, the way they are. I mean, you've just mentioned another record there, Robert Parker, Barefooting, which was one of the first records, really, that managed to get from the pirate radio onto the, onto... Well, eventually on Radio yeah, 1, but yeah, prior yeah, to that, yeah, onto yeah. the main BBC stations, because, you know, th there was this undercurrent of black music back back in the 60s that, that was waiting to break through and people trying to hold it back and, you know, all the rest of it. So, so you're in Mansfield... Uh, uh, you're obviously not working at this point, so how do you how do you get records yourself? Uh, <laughs> actually, but when my dad owned the shop, which is um, I, I eventually got the sack. You're partly responsible for that as well. But um, <laughs> I, 
Yeah, I used to work the till, till quite a bit, so I did have a bit of extra money for records. Um, which Phil Kingswood used to work in Sid Booth's, actually, my local record shop. So well, I, I think Sid Booth became infamous, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah so, Well-famous and yeah. infamous all at the same time. I mean, I think it was Keith Mitchell who first mentioned Sid Booth's to me, but uh, it, it was another one where you'd have the name on, on, on the cover of the record, Sid Booth yeah, was stamped yeah, on, yeah. and have, have their own bags yeah. as well. So, on a, on a Saturday morning as a kid, I'd go in there, and Phil would have things put aside for me to play, which was fantastic, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, really free with his knowledge, you know, fantastic, uh, you know. Real good friend. Still is today, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, he's, he, he, when I, I went over there, I think, 2011 to um, to play in Ilkeston, of all places, at the co-op. Yeah. Uh, even with that, I didn't have a dividend, I didn't have any, any extra cash to buy all the special offers that they got at the co-op. But we had a fantastic four years because Phil gets it as a DJ and, and, and he is about, absolutely, about sharing and, um, yeah, absolutely loved him to bits. So we're going to kick off with three of your choices. I'm, I'm going to kick off with this one I'm here. I'm going to change with that you one. You want to kick off with yeah, this one? Yeah, because we're okay. telling a different story now. So. Are we? Oh, yeah. Are we? Sorry. We're telling a different <laughs> story now. Things just don't work out no matter what I do. Disappointment haunts me through each lonely day. The world around I see in all the shades of grey.
incredible records on they so are many levels records. you know you can listen to an instrumental you can just everything there was nothing taken to chance you know the lyrics are there. and people call them they say some people can say oh they're a bit too polished but you know to get that sort of polish on it is just is is it incredible i'm still I, i'm still in awe of these records i think that when you think about it though these records set the standard and then what was happening all over america whether it was in detroit whether it was people in were la people were trying to copy and, emulate and what and we got was that rough sound we yeah, got that yeah, rough sound yeah. because they couldn't copy at this level yeah. and also um you know i'm not saying there wasn't some incredible artists on smaller levels of course there was um but this this became the benchmark for everything yeah, didn't yeah. it and and when you got levi stubbs on on uh, the temptations Dennis, was the third Dennis one Edwards, yeah 
Dennis Edwards doing the vocals on Dennis Edwards first first vocal to be honest uh, and uh, Richie was something the Marvelettes tucked in, tucked in the middle. Though. I mean, Motown was was very dominant. I'm just, you know, Bully just said to me off air that, um, you know, did I like Motown? I, I can't say that I championed Motown. No, I probably championed much more of that Atlantic and Stack sound. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the next record you're going to play was, you know, this, this band became very much part of my life. But, um, so, so we, we, we're back at home. Uh, you when did you start buying records? And uh, was, it, was that Sid Booth's? And Sid Booth's, yeah. Would you go any further than that, or were you staying in Manchester? Uh, at, at that time, probably, I'd probably be 13, 14, so, um, yeah, it would be uh, Sid Booth's on a Saturday to Mansfield, and, uh, but it sort of came really quickly within a year. I remember, remember meeting a guy, um, his name's John Vincent, not the John Vincent, the Sheffield DJ, um, Johnny Vincent from Kirby. Really cool. I also, I, he got, we, I used to go to this uh, local pinball arcade like so i was getting i was going off the rails a bit i was i worked for my dad in the shop i was sort of granville and um so i used to go into this arcade and he used to come in and play on a saturday morning and he'd got uh, barathea blazer with the twisted wheel badge on and there was a jukebox so we used to be playing stuff in there and i'd be put in the motown and he just said to me one day i said um you're into motown he said uh, do you know the sapphires on hmv <laughs> no, 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 no idea. So no, you wouldn't. Yeah, he, he said, "Oh, come with me." So he, he took me to his house and played me a lot of the stuff that they're playing at the wheel. So yeah, that was a really, really big introduction to it. Uh, and from then, and and that was a map that you know I can't explain that you know, what a massive jump it was from from local. That's um, not intentionally commercial. People thinking they were being underground. I mean, the big records would be Funky Street, um, Arthur Conley, Sweet Soul Music, yeah. Arthur Conley, um, and and but the Wheel introduced this different yeah. level. Yeah, Sweet Soul music. music. You know, when I first heard that record, the Horn Break, I just couldn't believe it. I, in fact, I remember having a, a tape recorder and tape just taped the Horn Break about fifteen times, just because it just blew my mind. And I, and I think again, I think again, you know, because of the level they were at musicianship wise, and and, yeah. and you know, the guys who were producing these records, you, you know, and you got Clive Davis, you got all these all these top top yeah, names, yeah, yeah. Um, and and when you when you look at Northern, when people on the Northern scene, you know, look back at maybe the, the Motown records that we just played, maybe think, oh, they're, they're just commercial records, but. Without that standard, without yeah, you've got, that you've got the best jazz musicians That's in Detroit right. on the road. Without you that know. actually happened, Funk Brothers, yeah. all the rest of it. And, then, uh, and and if these records had come as unknowns today, then they, they would cause the yeah, furore yeah. that, that the original exactly. caused with suspicion. Fifty years later, I got to meet Wayne Jackson, who played all on sweet song music in Memphis, and it's like incredible. You know, it's just. How does that happen to your life? It's, it's well, wonderful. all that it's period. Been such a and, you know, I mean, you mentioned jazz, but it was a crossover. I mean, King Curtis, people like that. I mean, all, all, on the edge of it all the time, um, and introducing that uh, th that kind of <coughs> horn sound, which was was very much a part of the stack setup, and uh, you know, just just an incredible time. So you you you've got your music around you. You've got the well, we uh, had a really good job youth in club the as well, um, and so a lot of people used to come from other towns as well so because it was we did used to play predominantly soul music and uh kev roberts lived in the next town so yep. he used to come over to youth club so i knew kev when i was like 13. Um, so what, what year was this Andy? oh probably 71. 71 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 57 yeah 71. I did go to grammar school, you see. Yeah, no, no, you did. Yeah, they can do multiplication as well, I've heard, but we'll try that later on. Uh, but it, it, it definitely, um, you know, 
connecting with like-minded people was also a part yeah, of it, wasn't it? Yeah. There was a network was, of people. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't as easy as today where you can just click some buttons and find out the information. Exactly. You, you, know. had, you, you had to really dig and work hard for the information. You did, but the thing is, it wasn't, you know, the music was, I, I was just engulfed in it from day one. Yeah. It, it just took, took over my whole life. Everything I did was, you know, about music. And uh, then um, the next record, actually, the, the progression record buying wise was we were fortunate to live in Nottingham near Selectedis so um, imports had come into your life yeah yeah I mean, yeah, I mean yeah. Record Corner was, you know, was one of the first people to supply, supply Selectedis and Selectedis became a target for, for myself and Keith first time we came off the train there and walked left when the shop was on Arkwright and uh, walked down the stairs and there pinned on the wall was um to win your heart, Laura Lee, for yeah. 12 quid. Yeah. And we were earning 8 quid a week. This, Thank rec you very this much. record came out of that cellar. Yes. Alan Day behind the counter. Hector. Frightening.
I mean, one of his all-time favourite records, that. But, I mean, we moved in with three, and uh, we, we were off, off air and, and on air. We were about 1971 at this period. We're talking about names that we, we all know, Keb Roberts, etc., and, and Phil Kingswood. Uh, kicked off with Heart Trouble, which, of course, is the incredible George Clinton. How could he make records like this and, and Parliament Don't Be Sore at Me, but then he could also make Funkadelic. Yeah, I, got, yeah, I, I became a Funkadelic. Oh, absolutely essential. I mean, it, would have been, it was a disease. Um, and then, of course, uh, Neptune Records, which, I mean, this type of record, the Looky Looky, the OJs, I mean, you know, Surprise Party for Baby, I Dig Your Act, I mean, this was an, this was another move forward in, in club culture at the yeah. time, coming away from British labels and starting to I mean, I'd imports. never seen, obviously, until I went to Selected Disc, I'd never actually seen um, proper labels, I don't think, uh, and Neptune, there, there seemed to be abundance, it was the first label I collected. So I brought, you know, branded band One Night Fear, all the OJs, and then I probably, that was the first label that I completed, um, which sounds really train-spotted. I'm not really you, train-spotted. You've got another label that people would have collected as well, Golden World. Yeah, like so, that same at the thing, time. Yeah. yeah. To be honest, I didn't know that I brought that record blind. I, it was 25p, they used to have 25p boxes in Selected Disc, and it's 25p. 
but I brought it on the back of I think it was I can, I can feel the ice melting that I fell in love and, with. And I so. think I think that the reason that records like that were in twenty five pence, actually we've just been talking off air, is very much to do with the fact that a lot of people who were buying imports, this was the first time imports had become available in parochial shops, uh, uh, you know, outside of London, Manchester, yeah. Birmingham, and I think people just bought what they'd heard in the clubs, and, and if the record wasn't getting played, it would very quickly end up, you know, for cash flow reasons, in in the cheaper boxes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was the place to hit, and and you know, <laughs> we've turned that on its head nowadays. People people are looking for records that they don't know. Yeah, I used to spend most Saturday mornings, you know, in there just going through and sort of gleaming at, you know, there's a lot. Probably the in crowd, like you say, Alan Day was in there, Hector from Derby, Jack yep. Bollington, and yep. I didn't know them, but you know, I was like in awe of these people, so I'd, I'd be quietly looking through the boxes, listening yeah, to because the conversations. Yeah, because this, this is a source of information. I mean, we just talked about Blues and Soul magazine. I mean, again, that, you know, connecting people and clubs beginning to advertise in that magazine as well, so that was another connection. And obviously, you know, Dave Golding's column became a huge connection yeah. for everybody. Yeah, well, funnily enough, Johnny, John Vincent, the guy I spoke about, he was he put me uh, onto Blues and Soul, so. Uh, um, I think he used to come out was it on a Thursday fortnightly. I, I, but I remember I couldn't wait. No, you know, it was, was. It was. I mean, yeah. I, you, you, I always, when I moved to Kidsgrove, which was, which was near where Keith lived, um, that was 1968, and that, that was. A, I mean, I'd seen two copies similar to you. I'd been absconded off to these guys' house who were playing me some more obscure Motown, some different stuff, you know. But they were pushing a magazine called Home with the Blues, yeah, you know, which was the uh, the precursor to. Um, to Blues and Soul, but yeah, from Blues and Soul magazine, that's what that that's what dragged me down to London in '68 to go and see what you know what all this yeah, was about. Yeah. I was saying, you know, three year, two years, one year in the history of Northern Soul at that period is an immense period of time. You know, just, and what what happened over the next you know four or five years is just unbelievable. You know, we're so we're so fortunate to have been involved. It, in it, that. Yeah, it became, it became absolutely prolific, and and, and as it's worst, I suppose, I remember somebody commenting to me at Blackpool Mecca, this was, you know, sort of mid-70s, I haven't been here for a month, and I don't know any of the records you've played tonight. Wow. <laughs> and and it, it, it had become almost out of hand, if you will, yeah. you know, because by that time we were also introducing the new release element, and there was, I would say I was buying somewhere between 30 and 40 releases per week, just new releases. Wow. Yeah. Um, from you know, different sources in, in the UK and then you've got John Anderson then you've got Levine you know, the opportunities for me to buy off all the dealers as well so uh, you're going through music prolifically yeah, I was and still wanting school, to play so, with, you know, yeah. I, was, I was limited to what so, get out the till so with about 71 so so, yeah. so, so move, oh, move Willie, us Willie on T was, that, that record stood out for me um, well, I went to a local club uh, the Stork Club in Ucknall which was like um You've got to be 18 to go go into Stork Club, you know, so we had to sneak in. I think I went down with the, the mate, Johnny Maddox. Stork um, as in S-T-O-R-K. Yeah, that's uh, right. Uh, yeah. Not yeah. The margarine, not the butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't get me on any spelling, I've told you. not Colin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's Stork, yeah. And uh, anyway, I just I, I always remember being in this club and, like, trying to act older. And uh, But what really... There was a real contradiction when records came on. You saw these guys that were young mods and, you know, they're trying to look hard. But then a record like that come on and there'd be really a sensitivity on the dance floor to yep. it, which seemed a strange, you know, a real big contradiction that the soulfulness, that they're not ashamed to show the feelings to through through music. I think that was a combination that, that, that went right the way through, went in different directions, but you've got that combination between fashion yeah. uh, and, you know, whether, whether yeah. it was the mods. I mean, it was the mods for me, and, you know, back in 68. Yeah. I mean, you were walking into Ben Sherman's and all, all the clothes. Yeah. But the music would soften the blow, yeah, Yeah, definitely. which is, I, I also remember, I mean, just jumping forward, I, I, to 
a wheel reunion some 15 years later and coming down the stairs into the oldies room at this wheel reunion and, and, and Pete Lawson who was a hard character, a hard looking character and Baby I Need Your Loving was on and tears were streaming down his cheeks, you know, just unashamedly and it's just... I never knew Peter as well as a lot of people, but um, you know they, what you've just described. I remember reading something that he'd written, uh, Pete Lawson, and it, it was phenomenally deep. And I was I was shocked at just how deep it was, yeah, how much real, real deep how much deep. was obviously inside. Yet this character that he portrayed was was a different animal, yeah. almost a gangster, if you will, uh, and and one of the early guys with the tattoos. But but the, that passion, no, and, a... and 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 I remember having a conversation with Dave Godin about him as well, and you know he said the same. That you know, this guy, uh, you know, re really knew yeah. what well, was Dave going spoke on. at his funeral, yeah. Which, uh, and and, and I, I will, yeah. share, I will yeah. share Ian Melia as well, yeah. Who, who, yeah. who also knew him very well. So, uh, we, we'll carry on with the choices. And uh, this next record in particular shows the diversity of, of music that was available, not all of it played in the northern soul scene, but definitely affected soul fans. <laughs> Everybody works out of their own bag. Can you understand that? I can understand that.
Well, Bully will tell you anyway, but I mean, I'm detached. There's a script going on here. He's running at a different... I'm running at 45 and he's running at 33. But um, we're getting there in the end. Three more records, and, and the first of which was, of course, the incredible, the one and only life-changing, and sadly no longer with us. But from 1972... Uh, and and this record, I can tell you, I can understand it. You know, wasn't played at the Torch. Uh, it wasn't played as part of what what was the developing Northern Soul scene at that time. But I was able to play this record at say, Tiffany's on a Thursday or a Sunday, early doors. But you know, not as kind of part of of, of, yeah. of the whole thing. But uh, the whole Womack sound for me. I mean, and, and the storytelling and 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 the feel, and and eventually a Blackpool Mecca. I would start introducing records like I don't know, which has got that talking. You know, yeah, get, yeah. Give people a chance to get off the chair, get to the dance floor. And by I the time love, they get there, it kicks in. And and yeah. well, Kenny Smith. A lot of the records yeah, yeah. I played at Blackpool Mecca, yeah. and and I love the connection with the reality of, of things like Lou Edwards talking about the poor folks. Yeah, yeah we were working class kids, and um, you know a lot of these records resonated because of what was going on in the lyrics as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was I was the blues and soul connection probably there as well. I, you know, I was scouring the new releases every week, the UK new releases. And automatically, like, anything that had got, like, five stars or look, took my fantasy, you know, I was going down and looking. And, and to be fair, Phil Kingswood at Sid Booth's would have a little pile for me or say, you know, listen to this. Womack, that, that record was such a life-changing record musically for me. In fact, it probably I stopped buying records for, it felt like years, probably about two weeks, but I just couldn't see any anything that would go up to that level, you know. No, uh, apart, no, no. Apart no, from yeah. the album. And uh, and it's all about, the thing is, you know, like there you've got Wilson Pickett, um, The Eighth Day with Melvin Davis on, and, and Womack. The voices, um, you know, back to Levi Stubbs, with just all these incredible voices coming at us. That's right. You know, it's just unbelievable, just the amount of brilliant, you know, soulful voices, which I don't hear today. I still buy music today, but... Um, the, the, you know, the, 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 the levels. I think. I think. I think. What's changed more dramatically than anything else is is, is the almost disappearance of record companies being interested in in, in, in putting this kind of music yeah. out. Anyway, back then, if you think, uh, you know, the money from Antic, the money from United Artists, and even Invictus was was a growing label back then. Um, so you got the kind of money and musicianship available. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there was the bar. They'd set a bar and, and uh, you know, they knew themselves how you got there. And when you, you didn't see, you know, out of all the acts that started to come over, you did, hardly saw any of them that weren't any good because they'd already gone through the American betting system to get where they were, yeah, to yeah, get onto yeah, a major yeah. label. And so, uh, when's the first time you saw one live? Uh, well, that's a good good question. I've told you not to ask me. My brain has said, uh, I've had a rather interesting life, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I went to a lot of nighters. Um, let's have a think. Was it, uh, was it Manchester? No, or was it, it was London? It was probably, uh, do you know, it, it was uh, Manchester. Uh, Apollo? On, it was the Apollo of Manchester, yeah. 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 Uh, and I've seen Hammersmith. And then a few years, I've got to just drop it in. I got to interview him, which was one of the greatest days of my life. You know, just unbelievable. Um sort of and from that from that record uh, and I remember there being an advert in uh, a few years later in Black Echoes for uh, Bobby Wo Bobby Womack tour campaign t-shirts yeah, which right. Graham yeah. Joyce we've yeah, just yeah, been yeah. talking about yeah. he yeah. put an advert in so we all brought t-shirts for campaigning for Womack to come over you know 
I think he did come over and play Birmingham quite early on, didn't he? Yeah, I, I saw him at Birmingham. That's, yeah. I, that's, that's, that's probably the longest I've ever spoke to him, wasn't it? Yeah. An interview by any stretch of the imagination, but that was the longest I'd spoken to him. And yeah, he, he, he really blew it up in Birmingham. And again, I, I would say two-thirds full. Uh, people were still learning, people were still kind of understanding, yeah. like he says. And um, yeah, yeah, just just a brilliant showman, brilliant. It's got a strange, you know, especially for me, you know, there's nobody can communicate just like Womack. It, it does feel like, you know, it, there can be a thousand people listening to the record but it feels like he's talking to you one on one you know yeah. and, and, and you, you've also played two records together and you followed that with Wilson Pickett and if you listen to the style they're not a million miles apart well obviously you know, they were best friends you, as well you know that, that that vibe comes right through, and that vibe is what we're selling to to people like you yeah. and to people like me. Uh, you're buying Actually, it just like reminded me of a great part of the interview I asked him about when he moved to Memphis, and uh, and I, I, he said, "Oh, me and I said, where were you?" He said, "Well, we were in this uh, sharing. I was sharing a room with Pickett, and uh, he said we were writing some great records." He said, uh, "I wrote I'm in love and uh, with Pickett there," and he said we used to bang on the on the pipes and met the cockroaches run upstairs because Bobby Bland was on <laughs> in the room upstairs <laughs> and it's like you know you just can't imagine this world can you so no 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 and, and, I mean absolutely incredible and, and and for a lot of us you know right through the 70s to have blackouts coming out I mean we had at the local Tiffany's Fontella Bass we had um, Sam and Dave we had Arthur Conley uh, Wilson Pickett we, I mean we had so many incredible artists and and this was part of that building part of what we talked about that connecting with blues and soul and and a developing scene that became yeah. for a lot of us became a northern yeah. soul scene but um the, uh, you know the records you've just played and were not directly connected to northern soul but were available yeah. through reading magazines like blues and soul and picking yeah. off what god might say or what another reviewer might say yeah. i mean I, I, lo I, I love northern soul but and i've come through northern but I'm probably more of a soul fan than a northern fan, if I if I you know put it down to it. Um, and Dave Godin, um, who I've just pulled three records out, and obviously through Blues and Soul, his column. What uh, back at that time for me, I, I don't know. Um, at school, there's sort of two camps. You got your progressive camp and listening to whatever, which I like all sorts of music, but there was also sort of snobbishness where they looked down on Motown as sort of Mickey Mouse music. Very much so. And what um, Dave Godin did for me. Uh, because he was so articulate in what he did, he sort of rubber stamped it that there was some real artistry in these records, and they, you know, he, he, he sort of put the. And also in time, he pointed the route to Deep Soul as well. And, and you know, he pointed the route, the, and, and also he pointed to the route of value of records. Don't go out paying three, yeah, four, five yeah, pounds yeah. for records. In those days, that, that was two thirds of a week's wages. So, yeah. and, and, you know, just buy records for a pound. And, and, yeah. you know, and, and you, there's still value for money out there. And I think that's what he was selling. Yeah, this next record is actually one of Dave Godin's tips, um, written by Cecil Womack as well. So Oh, my legs go round 
Colin. Yeah, sorry. You see, everybody thinks I, I, I'm known for cocking up all over the place with the microphone index. So, I'm sorry. No, well, you're, you're in good company tonight. You're in good company, yeah. It, it follows so, me around. Yeah, tell us about Mary Wells. I'll edit that. Yeah. Uh, Mary Wells, uh, well, she married Cecil Womack, um, which was Bobby Womack's brother, obviously. Um, but I got to, through that record. I think it was one of um, Dave Godin's lyric turn on of the fortnights where he used to... I love lyrics and... It's like I say, you know, he puts some some thought towards the artistry. It made you think about the music. And it, through him, I, I probably got my love of Deep Soul. Uh, and the next, the second record after that, the JB track. Uh, don't ask me about JB. I know absolutely nothing about Neither it. Neither do I. But what a voice. I think it was one of his favourite records. And strangely enough, I found that record after I saw it in Blues and Soul. And I'd started by this time to go out looking through junk shops in towns. And I, I found it in uh, Ilkeston. Um, like the week of course, after. on that label, everybody was looking for the hesitations. Yeah, not, exactly. Not, yeah, not, not, not JB. JB. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. And uh, the last track was um, Wilson Pickett, Help the Needy. Um, I was going to play that tonight anyway, but um, some really sad news tonight, and that is um, the passing of the incredible Mr. Bobby Ewan, Bobby Ewan like, yeah. the ultimate guitarist. Who, who I put some albums up today. Uh, you know, I mean, he was involved in TSOP. In this album, ironically, Wilson Pickett is in Philadelphia, which is where he, you yeah, know yeah. I spoke to Earl Young briefly as well. Of course, who, who worked with him in those early days, um, and also People's Choice. Uh, even he was even the guitarist on the Astrid Gilberto album, Girl from wow. Ipanema. Yeah. He actually wrote because that, he I went under well. two names. Didn't he? Yeah, I think he wrote Help the Needy. Yes, um, and he's such a brilliant guitarist. Uh, his, his guitar, I always think on uh, Harold Melvin's "I Miss You," where it's like stunning. It's just like his heart. If you can feel it, like twang twanging at your heartstrings. You know, it's amazing. And he, and he was part of the co-writers on one of the biggest Torch records ever, and that was uh, previous of. I didn't know that. Band, I saw, I saw yeah. your post today, and I thought, yeah. "Whoops, uh, nice yeah, one." That is, that's incredible, know, isn't it? It is incredible. Yeah, he goes yeah. back that that far, and everybody I've spoken to him about him over the years. I mean, I, I remember the Mecca um, Eli's second coming album came out, and uh, you know, pushing himself to the front. But the material wasn't quite there. But I mean, you know, everything that he was involved in was was just fantastic, and I, I think. Um, Earl Young has done it today and, and yesterday as well, you know, singing the praises of this guy, just how influential he was. One of the original members of the TSOP. Setup. Just amazing that, you know, this is pre-internet, you know, the, and with the jigsaw, we had to put, sort of put together by looking at these labels and these names. <coughs> and then, you know, just seeing Gamble and Huff and then seeing the buying their records when they were in the cutout bins and then they had that meteoric rise in the 70s. You know, it's just fantastic. I, I think I think that's part of record collecting is is is, is the people who are able to push on the people who are able to understand it uh, would pick on arrangers, producers, writers. Whether it was Ashton Simpson, or, uh, we've already mentioned Bert De Quatto, but uh, you know all all these names you would regularly see and you would then follow. I mean Leon Pendarvis, for instance, and and uh, Lou Courtney. And you know when you listen to Courtney's music from the sixties and then you listen to that. You're album, saying all the names I can't pronounce, bully. When, <laughs> when you, when, 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 what, what, what's the what's the New Orleans one? Wardell uh, Quizergay. I can never get that one. I think bull, that's bullies at the back here with with a Mansfield uh, translator. <laughs> <laughs> but but well, all all you know, all those people, and that was connected. And and for me, going through music, that was still happening through the eighties. And then when house music came along, it was still the same. You would pick off these names that had been influenced by your Roy Ayers and all these other fantastic artists, and then you would build up. And that's how Masters at Work built their name. And you know, when you've got 
the right set of people when you've got the right yeah. chemistry th this is what happens and yeah, we've been lucky enough to live through the era and, and yeah, people have yeah. collected it's amazing the connection america's such a, a vast country yet you know these artists were actually traveling quite a lot to record on sessions you know womack was flying from la to memphis and you know going to detroit guys were going over to chicago you know there were uh, session musicians you know there, there were people needed those people on those sessions that's right and 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 all labels weren't at the level where they could get national plays. I mean, Motown got to that position, but, you know, when you look at the Northern Soul scene and the way that it was built up and, you know, people finding records in Detroit, people finding them in LA, people finding them in New York, and a lot of the, the what were tur turning up as unknown records were, were, were turned up as unknown records because these were labels that were trying to emulate the success of these huge yeah, successful yeah, labels. Yeah. And so you would find records dotted all over the country and, you know, breakout hits in Detroit that may do nothing in New York and yeah, nothing in yeah. L.A. So, you know, it, it was, for us, it, it was the biggest honeypot in the world yeah, in terms yeah. of music. Yeah, in the case of like Motown, it was Rick Tick and were, it was the Motown musicians moonlighting, you know, so. Without a doubt. Incredible. So we're still, we're still at this front end period uh, in the 70s and we're going to continue in that vein for a while. You're with me, Colin Curtis, and uh, of course my special guest tonight, Andy Tats-Taylor. <laughs>
club toilets back in the 70s, eh? Absolute class. Three pieces of music there from my guest tonight, uh, Andy Tess Taylor, and uh, we kicked off there with an absolute classic artist, Mr. Chuck Jackson, and uh, Chains of Love, which was kind of um, kind of the end of the Twisted Wheel, and uh, pre-Torch All Nighters, I would say. I don't, that record didn't get played a lot at the Torch All Nighters, so, and, and then Cindy Scott, I Love You Baby, was huge at the Torch All Nighters. Yeah. And then uh, Alice Clark was kind of the end of the Torch All Nighters, beginning the Blackpool Mecca. Um, yeah. Particularly the period with myself. I actually didn't, you know, I, I knew some of those records came from the Torch at that time, and I, I, I probably started to go to uh, Brick Club in Nottingham, yeah. um, which I'd probably be 16... Uh, and just incredible record, George Kerr, you know, on uh, Alice Clark is just absolutely amazing. Um, it's all about the standard of those records. Um, I don't think, back then, it didn't seem to matter whether a record was rare or not. It was no. all about the quality of no. the record, you know. No, I don't, I don't think anybody looked up, up upon any record being inaccessible in, in, ter in financial terms as it can be today. Um, so, you know, one way or another, if you were a DJ, you'd find a way of, you know, once you've got one, two, three, four records on your list, you you would you would be able to find yeah. them, and so no, I don't I don't think value at this point was was particularly playing a role, but certainly um, the class uh, of the records we just played, particularly the Cindy Scott and the Alice Clark, and well, of course Chuck Jackson. I mean, the class. Uh, was was definitely an element, and when people talk to me about top five hundred records, and they want to you know poo poo it and say, ultimately, if all these records have been available at the same time, a huge amount of top five hundred records would still be in the top five hundred. Oh, definitely, I'm, I'm still I love the top five hundred. Yeah, I will never decry it because you know these records passed on through a generation as well to you know through the the pressings, the bootlegs. You know, uh, at that time I couldn't afford originals, so. Um, I was probably the only place I could get to hear them was going to the Brit or um, at that time I just started to make quite a lot of me Nottingham, I think, in selected disc and Yeah, so. but I'm, I'm, I mean, I had this conversation with Alan Kitchener. I mean, it, it's, it's when you come into it. If you're hearing some of these records in, in the early 80s, for instance, that's your start of Northern yeah. Soul. I mean, for me, that started in 1968 and for you, your early 70s or 70. Um, so, you know, but they play a role, but they're still classic records and... and, and you know, Cindy Scott, yes, very much a part of the All Nighters at the Torch, very much a part and of that. It still sounds so driven. fresh now. Yeah, you know, they, unbelievable. You know, they, 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 they don't date. Um, and I remember, you know, you used to go and select this at that time when they started doing the, the bootlegs and there'd be a list of everything at 85p and, you know, it was... Yep. Um, and then we actually used to emulate uh, the sort of Blues and Soul adverts at school. So in our school, I don't know if um, got some friends listening tonight, Andy Rawson and Kev Holmes and uh, probably Dillis. Um, in Ashfield Comp, we used to put up in, uh, we used to have a quad where people walked around at dinner, but there'd be a list of what was going to be played in the youth wing at night. <laughs> so it's like, you know, landslide, uh, Alice Clark, yeah, yeah. Like that sort of thing, which is, you know, incredible when you think about the music that was being played on the radio, you know, and not decrying any of that, whether it's T-Rex or Slade or whatever, um, but for us to make that choice and develop a scene within it and 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 it was the music that drove it it was it, i don't think it was particularly cool or anything it was just the music was so fantastic i, I think i think you, you've just hit the nail on the head there i think i think it, it it's belonging to something it's making that decision not to go out on a saturday night get drunk pinch somebody's girlfriend have a fight or whatever this was an alternative and i think that the music came along with it with that package i don't think i don't think he even got a decision colin i think you heard the music 
and it just drove you. That's it, right. You, you just fell and right. followed it. You know? but, but but then, as as it's grown for the reasons that we've already discussed tonight, uh, in terms of you know people being able to connect, whether it's through the music, whether it's through magazines, and and then as it started to grow, of course other areas would then start travelling to different clubs because, I mean, until the torch, no, I'd only really worked in Stoke-on-Trent. I mean, I'd I DJ'd. My first gigs were, were Warrington Co-op with Brian yeah. Ray and then uh, Alan Day asked me to come over to the 76 Club in, in Burton-on-Trent. Yeah, I mean, distances back, you know, uh, people only, from where I lived, you know, in Mansfield, Kirkby and Ashfield, people only went as far as Blackpool once a week on their holidays. Yeah. So, on a, on a Friday, on a Saturday afternoon when we were having a, you know, in the pub and then going up to the Mecca in Blackpool, the, the locals used to has gone out, you know. And we did that, you know, week in, week out regularly. But, you know, it was always, we just... So how, how, how were you getting from where you were to Blackpool, Mecca um, in those days? This is, uh, I was, uh, as I say, I was working for my dad and uh, you actually cost me my job, I think. I'll put it down to you. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wouldn't have been able to afford to pay you the benefits. Yeah, me, uh, my dad had a, obviously had a, a, a transit van which called George, which... Uh, if uh, there's a, a crowd that we used to every weekend. Uh, on a Friday, it was uh, Samantha's on the Friday night. So you go to Sheffield, and that was the other John Benson. Yeah, yeah, that was, and, and, and yeah, Ian Dewurst. Um, yeah. So he used to bring some class to the old like down there. And, you know, Ian Roos would play Mecca stuff then as well. I, um, I think I think Ian was one of the main reasons that, that Mecca stuff got down to Cleethorpes and, and, you know, the effect of that. And, of course, Polk was working yeah, at, yeah. Um, at uh, Soul Bowl at that point as well. I think they were they very much championed the change in the Mecca sound. Yeah, and, uh, so we sort of did... Um, we did Samantha's on a Friday night and then went home, had a bit of breakfast and then went to the Mecca in the van on the Saturday. Um, sometimes called in Wigan on the way back. Sometimes went to the Ordair in Nottingham. Lots of stamina. Uh, and then my dad would probably get his van back on Monday morning if we were lucky. <laughs> and uh, it didn't bear too well, so, the, so we went stale bread a lot of times. <laughs> so in in, t in terms of clubs, uh, I mean, the Brit was very much a part of Nottingham, but also, also uh, the Palais was in those early yeah, days. Yeah, I mean, it was, the yeah, Palais yeah, was huge. Yeah, yeah. I used to, uh, what, was, what was his name? Mick, um, I can't remember his name, yeah. I used to work, that, work for there. Um, was it Mick Fellow there? It was Mick yeah, Fellow, yeah yeah, 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 that's yeah. right, Mick Fellow. Um, and eventually downstairs, of course, we started to, the jazz funk, yeah, uh, yeah. E you know, revolution, evolution, call it what you will. Uh, everybody's got their own opinion on that. But, um, so you've now started moving out, you're coming up to Blackpool. So what year was that? Uh, probably 73, late 73, 74, probably 74 to be fair. So, so. Uh, I, I, I couldn't drive, I got to go. We used to have to get somebody that could uh, you drive. could drive your dad's van, drive but not tell van, your dad, yeah. because yeah, it wouldn't have been exactly, insured. Yeah, yeah, poor, <laughs> poor chap. Um, and, you know, it was, uh, the journey was just incredible. You know, it's a long way in a transit van every side. As I say, you know, um, today you look at Blackpool and it's there, but in a transit van that only does 40 mile an hour... Uh, no, I, I, well, I, know, I know that thing you talked to me about Soul Sam and his new MGBGT, yes. <laughs>
territory now as we move through these records and uh, I've got to shout my man Mr Ian Levine because uh, he's the guy who really pushed Linda Jones at that particular time, and, you know, every aspect of that and uh, three records there, first one um, I have to say, you know I've learned something again today and I, I love learning stuff all the time but The Magnificent Men Forever Together Bully's had this for 25 years as well um, what a record. I just don't believe it. It's, it's always been there. I, you know, I've had it since I was, I don't know, it's probably in my book when I was 14, 15. Um, Sonny Sanders, it's got everything. Um, I, th- I thought actually it had been played at the Torch, but I've, ne- I've never seen it documented. No, no, I, no. I'm not no, a train no, spotter no, like no, that. No, but, no, it's never, it never, um, never played. I, I just love the record. I, no. I, it should, you know, it sounds like a, a £500 record or what, you, whatever you want to call it. Just It's up there with the, the best, like, Chicago recordings. It's, it's wonderful. G Sims on here as well. Yeah, right? yeah, I mean, Gerald Sims, you know, yeah. yeah. Everybody's tucked away. I once like. met Gerald Sims, and uh, it was like he gave me a card, and it was Gerald Sims, and on his card it said Gerald Sims, piano teacher. Right. And I just looked at him and said, "Is is that what you're doing?" He went, yeah, yeah, I'm piano teacher, and right. like the guy that made you know all those brilliant records to earn a living. Yeah, and he passed away a few months ago. Um, yes, he did. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we moved on. To Linda Jones and the Whatnots, so you've got this whole thing going on with Stang. And, um, you know, Levine just went crazy on Linda Jones, and we, you know, we started looking into everything and hypnotised, and, and then eventually, for me, one of the greatest Northern Soul records ever, I Just Can't Live My Life, which, you know, just tore yeah. the place out. And, and, and if ever a record said it was Blackpool Mecca, that was it, that, that particular record. And again, we've got George Kerr involved, and uh, George was over at the um, Soul Weekend yeah, yeah. a few years Incredible. back. And, and just dropping what, bombshells like he wrote I Have Faith in You, which yes. nobody knew. I'm like, you know, one of the greatest <laughs> records ever. You know, you wrote all them great stuff, and I Have Faith in You as well. 
Um, I, I mean, that, that was a strange story anyway, wasn't it? For that record to turn up as, as like a B-side for Edwin Starr and then turn up on the B-side of... And, and I had to wrestle that, that record out of Pep back in the day. Yeah. He was coming to Tiffany's on a Sunday. There was me, Sol Sam, Pep, Keith, and he would bring this Barry track and I just said, I've got to have this record, you know, and eventually I tried everything, you yeah. know. I tried uh, kidnapping his wife and you know, various means of trying to get this record, but eventually I got it. And of course... It became one of the biggest records of Blackpool Mecca, but then, just one night, I put the other side on, and bang, you know, it was just, just unbelievable, I mean, unbelievable response, and, uh, you know, just such a heavy double-sided record. Yeah, and, uh, it's probably... But let, let's get back to Linda Jones, you know, I still talk occasionally to uh, Linda's daughter, and now there's some sort of... Um, museum or some sort of display going on yeah. for, and, and people are now beginning to recognise just what a super talent this lady was. So where well, did you was, first uh, hear that record? Did you hear that record uh, in I, the Mecca? Or no what? actually I, I, I heard that earlier, I think I probably heard it before before it was Northern Soul or whatever, Yes, um, probably through Dave Godin and collecting Linda Jones so it probably came through that um, but when you hear those records out, it gives it another dimension, especially at the Mecca, because the Mecca sound system, which people never talk about, was like... I, I talk about it, because it, the, the, what was different with the Mecca sound system is that all the speakers were on the dance floor. Sports, there was no speakers around the outside of the building, so you could actually have a conversation, uh, you know, in, yeah. in, in the Highland Room. Um, but all the speakers... and. and it, for its day, the technology was very good. We were still on the Garrod SP25 bouncy yeah, decks, yeah. but for the day, the actual sound that came out onto the dance floor, you know, and it, and it, it was like the torch. The torch had a unique yeah. sound. Records that were were played at the torch, you know, didn't sound the same. The, in, the mecha in other sounded places. like hi-fi, though. When you yes. you'd never yeah. heard hi-fi. And, 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 and I think in that's... comparison, and in, in fact. In the local Tiffany's, we, we had quadraphonic sound fitted at once. Wow. So one person in the room was having fun. The rest of us were thinking, what the hell's that? And that, that, <laughs> that's maybe why some of these records, you could play, stretch it a bit and play rec yes. more, more dynamic yes. sound in records. Well, there was a, there was a, there was a change at Blackpool Mecca um, when Ian Levine came in with me. And uh, that change was that we talked about the night would start at 7.30. So from 7.30 until 9 o'clock, we would only play records that we didn't play. In the, in the rest of the night. So that was the beginning of the idea that eventually became my last hour. But So we were playing all unknowns, which would bring people up to the decks, get people interested, having a sniff, what's this, what's that, for, for 90 minutes. And then we would play solid hours um, alternately up, up until one o'clock, and then eventually yeah. uh, I would take over that last, last, last hour, uh, particularly after Wigan opened. And uh, yeah, But it still left me a lot of people to play to, and then that brings me to this third record. Which for me, one of the biggest ever last hour records. It's, it's just a, it's, it's, George Wydell. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's just got that mecca, that all-encompassing, cool feeling. It, you know, it was a, it felt special. The, the club felt special. Not, not that we wanted to feel a leap for being there, but you just did. You felt like you were in a little club. And I loved Wigan. I, you know, I used to enjoy Wigan. Spent a lot of time in the record bar and talking. But the mecca just really opened my eyes to different styles of music. Yourself and what what. Uh, Ian did. I, th I, th I think, in a way, myself and Ian were, were chalk and cheese and, and, and in taste as well. I mean, some of it would cross over, definitely. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, massive respect for Keith Mitchell, massive respect for, for Ian Levine. They were, they were two completely different characters to bounce off. And, uh, you know, Levine's thirst for knowledge always and, you know, different taste allowed me to, to, to develop my taste, if you will, through that period. But that whole, t that whole 
time. I mean, Ernie Andrews was another one that falls into yeah, the yeah, George Wydell category. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, there he is, waving it. Um, but, yeah, that, that whole feeling, and into that I was able to introduce some of the more modern sounds, um, some of the more laid-back sounds. I mean, tracks off Anne, Sexton, on Anne Sexton's incredible yeah. album. Um, but also introducing, uh, you know, a lot of those smaller label things, Innovation 2, and, uh, you know, go, going right through, because the major labels were now making great music as well, RCA, Epic, you know, you've got some fantastic records. Um, am I Cold, Am I Hot, so, you know, all these incredible yeah. records. I, I, it did, what, what it did for me, especially last hour, which we'll play some records later on, Lily Trolloway, introduced me to an all-new broad broadest spectrum of writers you know some d's etc yep. came from that and yeah well worn out broken heart which is of course recorded by the letter yeah yeah know. it's just uh you know ama amazing um let's play some music i think i think it gave it gave us it gave what gave us the option was was the the way that the mecca was laid out with a low roof and uh, we were able to change the tempo it wasn't a big a big hall like wigan it wasn't you know you didn't have to play possibly yeah. sl you know I don't want to, not derogatory fashion of, of lowest comedy denominator, but, but, but stompers, if you will, what, to what keep I, a dance floor that I did busy. Notice, what, I did notice that you tended to get all the DJs from all over the country went to the Mecca as well. So there'd be everybody you know now, you know, Arthur Fenn and um, yep. all the Cleethorpes boys, everyone, Ian Dewar, they, yeah. yeah, yep. they were all at, at the Mecca. Yep. Yeah, uh, I think so. I, I yeah. think, I think I, you know, because I, 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 I don't take, uh, you know, Massive credit to to Ian Levine, you know, right through that period because he, he, he and and as I said earlier on, I've got the unbelievable support of, of John Anderson at Soul Bowl. So I just got so many options that it, it, I could pick out, you know, my own choices from then. Levine would then pick up his choices, and I think that combination at that particular point in time was lethal. <laughs> Your mouth. 
about Takes me on a trip when we kiss 
and we talked about that off air as well that was of course Fine Young Girl another part of uh, the Blackpool Make a Last Day but we started off there with, with, with a nice a nice kick in the teeth for a lot of us I mean this record um, on Atlantic Records of course Jackie Moore was huge at the torch both ends against the middle again I being my friend Keith Minchelin uh, he was the one who started to play it uh, written of course by Phil Hurt and Archie Bell doesn't get any better than that line it doesn't no but you flipped it yeah I flipped it for a long while actually you should have given me a spot at the Mecca. I begged you for one. Begged I you know for you one. did. I know you did. <laughs> you, weren't, you, you weren't tall enough. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, brilliant, brilliant record. Clean up your own yard, Jackie Moore, of course. And, yeah, it just, uh, it's got to make a feel to it. You know, it's, it's just uh, one of those records that I always sort of put into that category. It's got everything tucked away on her yeah. album as well. So, I mean, there's two reasons I should have picked up on that yeah, before. Great, great album but didn't. Well. And it just sounds absolutely fantastic. Brilliant for the enlightening as all tonight with that. And then uh, Loretta Holloway. I know where you're coming from. And, and of course, quite to me, this whole particular era of Loretta, um, you know, before she, she she got onto South Soul and just yeah. the soul sound that she got was absolutely incredible. Oh, that, just, that record is probably my favourite record of that period. And just to, you know, put, put me onto that, to the voice, once again, it's all about, you know, the voices. Um, I remember um, we used to go over the... Uh, Captain Fiddle in the van and uh, used to be a record shop in Macclesfield probably mm. up on the hill was it spinning or something like that something? Uh, yeah something like yeah, that yeah. The, the spinning top or something yeah, like we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, and he used to get uh, import LPs or I used to order them and I remember one week saying I need to get the new Lolita Holloway LP I'd not heard it and LPs were quite expensive to buy yeah, back yeah, then yeah, imports yeah, you know it's probably yeah, yeah. three quid you could have brought uh, you know some rare northern record but um, when the LP came through um, yeah you know, to, all the compositions were Sam D's and just um, just incredible deep soul records on there, Cry To Me and um, the one we just mentioned, Talking, uh, Not One Out Broken Heart, that's not on there, that's a different album. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is a different album, but I mean that that whole period, for instance, and we talked earlier on about Bob Walmart. We talked about records that you would would either get to know through blues and soul, or get to know that weren't necessarily what we call Northern Soul records. Um, but we talk about that. I mean, we we used to do cross country around Tunstall on a Wednesday night, and then we would all come back wiped out, a uh, couple of pints in the pub, sitting there listening to Sam D's albums, listening to to tracks like that. And I think that's where it just enhances your understanding of what's going on with, with, with the music as a whole and, and allowed you then to, you know, to make better choices and realise that it wasn't just about the dance music, it was, there was other stuff going on here. And, and the Sam Deasy songwriting, which was, it was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how can anybody be as sad as Sam Dees? And, and, and when I spoke to him, <laughs> when I spoke to him, he wasn't that sad. No, you know? no, no. <laughs> I never got to see him perform. I mean, the fact that you know later on in the later years that we actually got Sam Dees to come over and perform is just yes. incredible. You know, it's testament to everybody involved in the scene and and the love of it. You know, to make that happen. Well, that 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 weekend when 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 he first came over to where was that? Was that in Morecambe? Um, at one of yeah, the Morecambe, yeah, yeah, I mean, that Carton was Carton Club as well. Yeah, that, it, that, yeah. yeah Carton yeah, as well because yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Kev Edwards involved yeah, yeah, in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I think he actually stayed with Kev for a while. Yeah, Sam I was, I was, I, I've got a feeling Kev may have even gone over there and and, and met him in, in you know at, at home. Um, but I mean, yeah, an absolute phenomenon. And uh, and no, he wasn't that sad. But I mean, uh, you know, he, he spots and then picked up by you know different uh, soul nights around the country. Um, and again, another guy who just couldn't believe that people knew so much about him because the one thing about British record collecting is the fanaticism is is like Japanese. It's beyond yeah, belief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they can't, they can't. You, you're telling some of them stuff that they either forgotten or didn't even know about. In yeah, the first yeah, place. yeah. And uh, that record's still around for two pound. Later all the way, I know where you're yeah. coming from. Yeah. Which you know, <laughs> it's just a crazy world, you know. Um, these, they're all these Mecca records, I, you know, if I could have a, a time capsule to go back to any any club, it would have been the Mecca at this time, especially in the van with my mates Kev Holmes. And I, I, yeah, well, the whole experience, isn't it? Yeah, the whole experience. Yeah. And of course, in them days, you could get there with a quid with a petrol. Yeah. <laughs> no more. No more. Thanks for reminding me of this as well. I mean, I just love this record.
music with Colin Curtis. It's Hitmix Radio 107.5. We're on the Soul Series, and my guest tonight is Andy Tats Taylor. Uh, three more incredible Blackpool Mecca records, and uh, Dennis Cable, Before It Falls Apart. Uh, is that Tree in the Broussard and W. Quizzege? Quizzege. yeah. That's on Pelican uh, Records, yeah. and that still sounds absolutely fantastic today. How much is that worth now? It's probably worth more now we've played it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't, it's, it's actually it's probably thirty but, quid. But yeah, that that started yeah. that started off as a last hour record. Yeah, and, and, just and, yeah, all those records. Uh, next one, of course, um, which you've reminded me, I played in the the one and only time I ever played at Wigan. What, what, how many people did the Mecca hold? You know, for uh, the Highland Room was jammed. I would say probably six hundred. Wow. Yeah, that yeah. surprised me because it felt intimate. It was intimate. Yeah. I, I think it was. I mean, don't forget, you got the corridor, you got the you know, the dream escalator, and all the stairs before you got there. Then that carpeted area, we've got decent toilets there. That was a, that was a big plus. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I would say I would say round it was probably around six hundred. Um, but the dance floor, and you know, because the, the sound was on the dance floor, you yeah, you know, the the socialising was good around around the dance floor. Uh, people getting to know each other as well. But um, overall. I mean, the old days, for instance, you know, two, two thousand, two and a half thousand. I mean, it was a, it was a massive, massive complex and knocked to the ground like so many places. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, then we followed, as I say, with um, I can't believe she took the whole thing. I've no idea what they're talking about there. That's John Stanbury, and uh, another record again. I remember you play. I remember you did a spot at Wigan, and we all went down for it, and uh, you played John Stanbury. That, which yeah. for any DJ to play that sort of record in Wigan is a really yeah, brave but, thing. <laughs> <laughs> just brave, just, just stupid. No, but yeah, I wanted I wanted to represent what we were playing at the time, yeah. and and, uh, and then the third record we've got, of course, you know, the man who opened the door for you know what the development of modern soul with the all because of you with Richard Sterling going you know going retrospectively back uh, through his albums and just throw so many fantastic records and he's coming back. I think he's back in the UK. Um, either later this year or early okay, next year. Okay, was that Jazz Cafe again? Um, it's going to be London, and unbelievably, it's going to be the Barbican. Okay. Uh, which quite surprised me. That's going to be a big sell. Yeah, no, Because I remember yeah. last time the tour, he was due to play in Manchester, they sold 107 tickets and cancelled the gig. You know, it just didn't happen. That was going to be at the Ritz. Um, so, let's see. I mean, I hope it comes off. Uh, I mean, London have got the Just for any vinyl collectors, actually, um, uh, at Acid Jazz, Eddie Pillar's got some of uh, the double album, Leroy Upson double album. Yes. And I think it's selling at eight quid. He's had a clear out on them. I mean, it's just that, ridiculous. Is that on vinyl? Or is yeah, that, on vinyl. It's on yeah, vinyl. Yeah, it's just, when it but comes through and you just, you can leave it on for two hours. And just Eloise just blew it up off the Man album and uh, that, you know, coming out on the seven as well, just enhanced its uh, reputation back in yeah, those which, days. Yeah, once again, you know, that's what I'm talking about, you know, where the Mech was introducing artists to us as well at that that stage, you know. So so this this type of record, the type of records we just played, particularly uh, John Stanbury and particularly uh, Dennis Cable, uh, you go away from the Mecca, it's not Saturday night anymore. You're not going to hear those records anywhere else at that time. Uh, no, just in the, just in our van, the seven of us. Tell me dad sacked me because <laughs> we kept taking it everywhere. <laughs> keep telling about that. <laughs> He'll need some forms bully later on to fill in and get compensation from his father <laughs> for sacking him all those years ago. Um, but no, you didn't, because I mean, they weren't typical all-day records. You couldn't just go out the next day and, and yeah. play that The set. last hour was there. You know, I, I remember the bush used to leave for Wigan at one o'clock, um, and we we actually loved that, the, the thought of the bus going, because um, there was still... Like, there must have been 
a good 150 still in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it was a, a real, you know, the, a real soulful crowd that, yeah. you know, it wasn't about the beat, it was about... But no, very open-minded people who were, were willing to listen to, 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 the, to the music and, and, and if they wanted to dance, they could as well. But, I mean, there, was, there wasn't the same sort of pressure in that last hour. And I think that allowed me to uh, experiment all over the place. And, and some of those records, you know, as... as history will tell us you know. uh, to, to be honest you know it's just such a big pleasure for me to be able to please it plays these records alongside you it's like taking me back because it was just such a special time of my life this next record one of the all-time best <laughs> Thank you. 
107.5 FM, the Power Station with Colin Curtis. Doesn't it? Uh, not as long as you thought it was that the extended mix. <laughs> 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 Welcome back. You're calling because it's 27 minutes after 22 hours, so that's about nearly half past 10. Um, and we're here till 12 o'clock midnight, so you know, you get that Horlicks on, get some more sugars in it, and uh, we're doing it right. Remind you once again uh, next month, the 29th of September, John Corliss, Charlie Reese on the 20th of October, and Brian 45 Phillips on the 17th of November. Timashi Bendy, 22nd of November. And uh, thank everybody for the support for this show. I mean, the downloads and the listen agains have been phenomenal and people talking about it and coming back to me. Uh, and Can I just mention a few friends out there? Because I've just seen that... Uh, and anyone else who knows you? Yeah, Dave Weldon's listening and uh, Dillis and Kev Holmes, um, my wife, hopefully. So I'm loving it. Good. Good. I mean, I mean, it's fantastic to have you guys. I mean, both of you. I mean, incredible. We'll, we'll talk about the development of something else you created as, as the show goes on, but we've still got 90 minutes. We kicked off there with Mel Britt. You said you got a story on that? Uh, only, we used to uh, have this, you know, the cheap tape recorders. Um, they were called Philips TP66. It weren't really the done thing to tape at the Mecca, so we also used to hide it under the table. And... Uh, so on the way back, we, we'd be listening to this tape, what what got played, you know, and Mel Britt just stood out, you know, just, it's so musically fantastic, but you can't make a title out from it. No, you can't. Yeah, so... It would have been a brilliant record to cover up, because you wouldn't have been able to pick the title. Yeah, we, we came up with the title, I think I asked you for, the following week for, you sure got a lot of cack. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it, that's which, it. Yeah, and, and I had, yeah. I certainly yeah. had. <laughs> I'd got a box full of it. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And then, um... The uh, Imperial, Imperial Wonders, um, which that ties in nicely with uh, the Kinsman Daz that you've just played, um, which is the next release on. Yeah, that was the third, the third, the third record. One, yeah, but Imperial Wonders just set set another precedent where where you got this production, this complication, this music that was on different layers, and yet still so soulful and still so danceable. Oh, yeah, you know, uh, just about everything on that label is fantastic as well. But when you look at the credits on that, it's Bob Massey, Dukes, it's the, it's the OJ's, and yeah. I think Lou Raglan's in the mix. And as I'm going to say, um, the Kinsman Daz track that um, a blatant plug which uh, me and Cliff are putting out which I've just we've just played Ghetto Preacher um, he's from Cleveland Ohio and we were chatting to him when we were trying to get the license in and uh, he was in on most of those sessions 
Well, it's a small I mean, world, just, you know. just flipping back to Imperial Wonders, Eddie Alert was one of the co-writers on it, so yeah, yeah definitely yeah, OJ's yeah. influences there. Um, it sh showed you the level. Kinsman Daz, of course, did those brilliant albums on 20th Century, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, still get played. I mean, I did a, a, a jazz funk gig over in uh, Nottingham a few weeks ago, and still dropping tracks off that. Just absolutely incredible yeah. stuff. Uh, tell us, um, tell us, about the release again, the, the uh, it's, uh, a new single. What, what labels are coming out? Uh, it's coming out on um, Creative Soul, uh, which okay. is what uh, me and Cliff uh, do. Yeah. Um, I also work with Alex a bit on things on Soul for Real, but that's totally his label. But we get on well, so we go away to the states looking for stuff and have a laugh. And I'm supposed to be his A and R man, which I'm not really a good A and R man at anything. <laughs> but I'm not doing bad tonight, though. Um, so the Kinsman Daz, I think, is going out in about five weeks. I think it's going to do really well. It's just got it's, it's got, got a great feel. It's got everything. Vocals um, are fantastic. And the, it was actually a guy called Ian Broadley, like just sent it to me in a messenger. Said, "Have you heard this?" You know, and I, I, I played it straight away. I went, "Wow, got, got to do something with that." I can yeah. see that sort of crossing over outside of the usual little collector's market that buys yeah, yeah, 45s yeah. Yeah. into the, you yeah. know probably the London scene or something like so, that. So what's the time frame on that when we're going to see that? Uh, six weeks but you can order it on the Creative Soul website now. Okay. Yep. And then the fourth track? Uh, the fourth track. The Real um, to Real oh, Soul. Real to Real, yeah. yeah. Um, Not Soul for Real yeah. but Real to Real. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah Randy Brown I, I had a really really good trip um, the last time I went to the States um, and Memphis and I, I came back with quite a lot of tapes uh, and the thing is with the tapes you don't know what's on there was, there was no markings on any of them don't know what they are you have to go through a process of baking them before you can get to know what's on them because otherwise the oxides break yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. a, a crazy thing and when that came out came through the speakers it just totally blew me away you know i put it on facebook the other day it's just uh, i knew the song i've got i've got the song by betty everett and uh, quite elegant but i've always loved randy you know he's one of my favorite vocalists um fabulous person as well I've, i know him as a friend so I'm quite lucky and i spoke to him i rang, I rang him about it and uh, he said it's uh, fred briggs uh, production which is sort of the detroit side of things yeah. so um <clears throat> Don't know whether we're going to be able to get the license to it. Even if we can't, I'd just love to see that record come out because I, I really think I'm it's something I, special. I think there's going to be a lot of people after tonight's show. <laughs> yeah, love, yeah. Love to so, see you know, even if we out, can't put it out, fantastic. I'm hoping somebody somewhere has got well, I mean, you, you, you mentioned Quiet Elegance again. I mean, that whole high sound for me, the Willie Mitchell thing, I mean, just... just played a big role in Blackpool Mecca as well, particularly in Last Air Records and... Uh, oh, the, that, those, those people... Yeah, Africano, yeah. I mean, there was just so many great records on that. I, I, I've been really fortunate in life, you know, and it's fortunate going to the States. I know Jackie Ibbison's listening and uh, a few years ago we went to Memphis and uh, we, six of us went. Uh, I've been to Royal Studios before but I've never been in and it's in a really bad area, you know, stacks and Royal Studios in the, in the middle of Soulsville. You, you can't walk about... And so I said to Jackie, um, you know, she couldn't get out of the vehicle. I said, we'll take pictures from across the road. So we're taking pictures of the studio and like, and this guy comes out, um, black guy, and he sat on the stairs smoking, you know. And then he saw us and he waved me over. So I went over and uh, I'm like, I said, uh, do you work here? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, um, did you know Willie Mitchell? He said, kind of, he was my dad. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. I, tell, I just, I just, tears just come. I just hugged him, you know, and it's like... His name wasn't Jock. <laughs> no, it's, it's Boo, Boo Mitchell. Yeah, Jock Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just one of those moments and he invited us into the studio oh. and, uh, you know, he, he actually was... Uh, Probably a few years later, I ended up doing a Memphis trip where we took 150 people from yeah, yeah. the UK, and that was probably the fire starter for it. Just the way that. We so, what, what, what year is this, Andy? What year is uh, that was probably be 2012, but uh, then the. Uh, was, it, was was the Stax thing your first uh, trip to America? Oh no, you, no 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 no! I started. When did you start um, going there? Uh, quite quite late for uh, probably mid eighties, I think. Okay. Um, probably about eighty five. And, and where were you headed? What did you find? Um, we were headed. Uh, first trip was to uh, L.A. I went with uh, Rob Weekly. I just sold a business actually. I just sold my fruit and veg business, which I had to start up because my dad sacked me. So it's a long story, but it all turned <laughs> we out. Keep, all we right. keep going on about that. Yeah. <laughs> Then he sold all his potatoes and made a fortune. Yeah, I got the time. I got the time to. We went to the states, so, and <sighs> I blew my mind. I mean, totally blew my mind. Um, it, it was a lot different. It felt a lot different back then because we didn't have drive-throughs and things like that, and just the scale of. It. I remember walking out, and you know, I'd already travelled in the world, but I remember walking out of LA airport and thinking, if somebody will give me a flight back, I'll go because it was just so in in too much face, to take in. And, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and big, yeah, you know, I understand that. Um, and record-wise was, um, <laughs> it was quite funny. I think the first place we went to was, uh, uh, Pasadena, uh, a flea market in Pasadena. Yep. And there was this, uh, it looks like a Red Indian. I've got a picture of him somewhere. And I'm looking through these records on his rack and he goes, you ain't gonna find no stompers in there, man. <laughs> I'm sort of looking around me like, I'm thinking, what the? And, uh, and then the next thing was, do you guys know Mark Dobson? Oh yeah, well, there you yeah, go. So, there you yeah, Butcher Tim had been there, and, and which is, I mean, we still had a great trip and found loads of things, and went on to Detroit afterwards. But that was a sort of a catalyst for. Um, I, it's the biggest thrill. I just, I, I've done it. You know, I've been, I've been fortunate to have gone. So that that first trip was to LA. Yeah, uh, it was LA, and then uh, we went to uh, Detroit on the way back. So, okay. and uh, we we. Uh, we met Betty Levette and uh, um, a host of people. She's, she's coming back Johnny over. May Matthews. She's coming back over to Blackpool. Uh, I've heard that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, I'm I not supposed to I tell anybody that. I don't think that. you're supposed to tell anybody. No, that. it's a secret. I, I, I have a lot of secrets on this show. Unfortunately, with the microphone open. <laughs> <laughs> she's a close friend of mine, so I, I didn't know, but I didn't. I've not, not said a word. Okay. Not, not, neither have I. <laughs> I shall delete it imme imme yeah. immediately after the show. So, but we're, but, still, but, I mean, we're this, still finding records. This, this, you know, the 80s period, when, when Tim was on the show, he was talking about, you know, that first trip with him and Butch had never been before. Yeah. Uh, and and he, he kind of described that almost the overwhelming thing because you've got the distances between places, you've got, you know, places to find, places to go, and, you know, some people work with you, some people don't. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, it's... Uh, uh, and, and like you, they, they, they stumbled on artists and, and, and look for artists yeah, as well. Yes, it's, it's, it's so vast and it, you know, it's hard work, but it's, it is gold mining, but it's so enjoyable, you know. So, so you've come back from the first trip and what, what, what's your thinking then about America going forward? Uh, well, I came back and uh, I said to um, Ali, my wife, um, you've got to see this place. And two weeks later, we were in Washington. <laughs> wow. it, yeah, it really was. And then, I, you know, since Ma then... Mangogo records. Yeah, yeah. Actually, well, Max Kidd was around at that time, yeah, so it was, it was amazing. We're going to play some more music okay. that Andy's brought into the show tonight and the stories are fantastic. One, two...
from Andy Touch Taylor on tonight's show 2247 and they keep playing LPs they keep playing if you let them and I'm not going to let them Uh, but we kicked off there with Aretha Franklin track called So Soon and that's just been issued on Soul For Real yes and uh, Alex Sabinas over in Spain um, and I'm lucky enough to uh, be uh, involved in that on a just a, I don't know what may advise, not advise, you wouldn't advise. Yeah, advise, advise capacity, no, I don't yeah. think it's a bit, yeah. We enjoy going to the States. When you go to the States, um, you need people that you're comfortable with because, like, yeah, just, it's not serious, it's having a laugh and, uh, but there is a serious side to it, I suppose. And when you're, yeah. when you're with somebody on the road and it's eight-hour journeys and nine-hour journeys and uh, me and Alex get on really well, both really love the music. Alex, um, the label uh, is just it's amazing what he does i mean i work alongside him so i know that a lot of the things he doesn't put out is not is not really it, it needs profit but he's not interested he'll say you know i want to release this Percy sledge i want to release this aretha franklin put an album out genuinely for the love of soul music yeah. and put it and he's leaving a, a legacy of great records 
Um, I think I've said that. I mean, obviously, we had the Soul Direction records on here. We've got Patrick Breestaff, yeah. you know. You, you, yeah. And Dave a, a lot of guys yeah, out there yeah, like yeah. you. I'm, I'm, and also, you know, you've got to get people's attention. And, and yeah. you know, I, I think that's why these labels do well, because, you know, the p people respect the guys who are behind the labels yeah. and, and and I'm sure you know with with your releases and with Soul Real yeah. these are going to get the attention and Soul Junction uh, uh, you know, Soul Junction yeah, Dave yeah, Welding brilliant, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, he can come on the show as well yeah yeah, yeah. so it's fantastic um, and uh, the first, that's the Aretha thing uh, which is still available uh, I think there's only about 12 copies left so jump on it be, be quick yeah be, be quick. quick and then Hot Wax Records Laura Lee uh, we talked about Laura uh, Costa uh, when you're yeah, hot I mean she blown us away on all levels I still play and I've opened up many sets with it her version of your song The Dolls which is yeah. absolute killer yeah. Only on a is it on 12 and 7 isn't it 12 and 7 I know I've got it on uh, 12 yeah it's now on both I yeah, play it on yeah. a 12 because it makes more noise yeah uh, that's just a, a Another sort of mecca sounding record, which is 73, it's Popcorn Wiley. Yeah. Um, it's got everything, Love Factory. Playing that for Valentina, I know she loves that. And, and written by Holland, Ozzy Holland, so it's, yeah, it's, exactly. got, it's got all yeah. the combinations all the on there. there yeah. And, and, and yeah, Love Factory was, it was a, a devastating change, you know, and, and just a, a perfect mecca record yeah. again, and uh, worked very well. And then the last one we just played was... Uh, it? Yeah, it's... Uh, the Win or Lose album from Soul For Real again, which a brilliant is got, compilation. It's incredible. Yeah, twelve like unreleased. I got, I got sent there. it in compartments. I got the album and then eventually the sleeve. Yeah, um, was that from me or it's Spanish Post? <laughs> okay, that's right. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't think it was from you. Now. <laughs> it's the sort of thing I do. I forgot to put that in. Uh, but and especially that track um, for me, that it's here for you. Just absolutely wonderful. Um, so I think it's twenty-five quid. Um, it won't be that for long because the first one's already. Up there in up the, down the 60s yeah, and 70s, I mean, and, that, yeah. and that's what's happening with this. Uh, because they it's are, madness. They are, and nobody's doing this on purpose because I, I run my own record label, which I'm you know, putting, yeah. putting the jazz stuff out. And you have a total that you, you need to sell to break even, number one, two, to make enough money to put another one out. And um, anything you get stuck with is, you know, it holds yeah. all that process up. So going back. And repressing something just doesn't make any sense. So, unfortunately, I mean, I wish you know you'd have to almost double your audience, and and that's been proved that that's not the case. And and your vinyl still has a, a plateau where you're not going to sell any more. And so the ones that do get left, people have to pay yeah, the premium. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and there's yeah. still a beauty about you know holding an album. Um, I, I brought comp CDs. Always. I, I mean, I, I remember. You know, at the Mecca, for instance, I mean, I'd never had a record box for albums. I'd, I'd carry as many as ten albums at that time. But I never had an actual box to put them in. I didn't really develop into, into a record box for albums until I went to Manchester and started Rafters. But, um, that was actually another difference with the Mecca, where people weren't afraid to play off albums. No, so, you know, no absolutely you know, not. We Billy Jackson, House and, and Sale. Yeah, that's right. That was, that was played directly and, and released eventually on, on UK 7. Yeah. The same with Lend a Hand, because, I mean, that was, that was played yeah, off, yeah. off, you know, I... We, thrashed it off the album and then eventually ABC put that out in the UK and uh, still never got an American release at that time you know that, that never came out on the 7 in America at that time uh, and Bobby's still angry about that you know <laughs> Andy did you know he was the, he was on the first Soul Train Bobby Hutton yes well if you didn't then you don't you're not on Facebook because he's told everybody else <laughs> But I, I love Bobby to bits, and yeah. uh, you know, meeting him was fantastic as well, and meeting his sons as well. So oh, that's been one of you know the highlights for me. Just I never, I never thought that I'd get to meet. Firstly, through the acts that came over, that Richards brought over, and Hades brought to the Cleethorpes Weekenders, yes. and then the acts I've met out in the states. Just it's, uh, and the thing I love is that um, 
Once they find that you're into the music and genuine, they just open the doors for they, you. They can't, they can't believe the knowledge. As, and you know, we've touched on that earlier in the show. You know, the, the fanatical knowledge of British records yeah. and, soul, and soul fans that, you know, blows them away. And yeah. I think they do get on board. I mean, I, you know, like Richard, I've been bringing in independent soul artists as well. I mean, even Carl Michael, music lover, people like that, you know. Just phenomenal talents. And, and once they get to talk to people over and realise how passionate they are about the music. I think it all drives it forward. Yeah. We'll keep on driving this forward and we'll move into uh, yeah, a little actually, bit of yeah, deep just, soul territory. Uh, yeah, it is. And uh, talking about this is an act that um, along Gilly, um, Little Anne, um, you know, I don't think Little Anne would have ever get to these shores without Gilly, especially his influence. However, we managed that trip because to travel with Gilly is... Oh, play the record and then we'll tell you about Gilly. <laughs> But my 
Friday night you were Colin Curtis and Andy Tess Taylor, my special guest on the Soul Series and uh, yet another one on a Friday night, four hours of music we did with three down and uh, we went a bit deep there and we kicked off with uh, Little Anne Deep Shadows uh, which is on the Deep Soul label which is of course a, a, an originally a Dave Godin label It is, yeah, yeah. So tell me the story on that one Um, we uh, in, it, well it took I went out to the States with uh, Gilly. We'd been going to the Under Club. Um, I'd met Gilly. I'd met him before that, but we started to go to the Under Club together. And I'd been to the States uh, quite a few times by then, and uh, Detroit. And Gilly had been a few times. He'd had a really good trip with Guy and everybody. He met George Clinton, along with Chris King, and people like that. And uh, we just said, you know, he he said, let's go together and do one. So uh, pull our resources. Gilly had put most of the groundwork in, to be fair, and uh, I think the first trip we met Melvin Davis for the first time, first time anybody had met him when, when we got out there. But at the back of his mind was always this little hand track that had been massive for Richard, you know, when he's not around. And uh, <laughs> you've got to know Gilly and be with Gilly. Um, this guy is, uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve. I yes. mean, uh, we're both... Uh, <sighs> I'm successful despite myself. Uh, Gilly is just happy-go-lucky. I, I just remember crazy things. We booked. We booked in. We we're in this motel, which was like one of the old style, like um, when, when you see these seventies gangster films. Um, it's like something out of Pulp Fiction with the where it's got the verandas on the, the inside. Miranda, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, the Martin uh, Luther King yeah, style yeah, hotel. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it, you know, we checked into this thing, and the, I, I got the bill for ten days, and it was like. Seventeen dollars a night or something wow. stupid. I've still got it. I mean, it, it was a, it, it was rooms by the hour. It was, a, it was a, you know, it's a, a knocking shop. And I also remember <laughs> Gilly just walking out. We put his cases in the room, and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, what are we doing here? And he walked out onto the balcony, looked down, and his car's coming out, and he went, "It's popular, isn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and it's just just things. We had such a crazy time that you know, and it was just about being in America because you didn't even have twenty four hour supermarkets back here then, and. We did mad things like, you know, we decided to go and get watermelons at two o'clock in the morning and, you know, it's just this, this bizarre Sounds thing. Sounds like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah, it time. was, yeah. And that's, you know, um, and, you know, we've become really, really close friends since those trips as well. So, so, so the first so, track there was, was Deep Shadow. Yeah, which, so which, we, we, we end up in, Dave, we met Popcorn and uh, Betty Lavette again and just, you know, all these great people. Steve Mancha, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Uh, <coughs> We we end up in uh, Dave Hamilton's basement listening to tapes uh, with Melvin Davis. And um, it's been, I mean, Gillies wrote his book about it. It's been told many times. Um, but it's just one of those thrill moments that I'm so, you know, proud to be involved in that um, Dave went to answer the phone, actually. He was playing these master tapes. Um, and we were so lax about these things because, you know, we've got no material we weren't thinking any material wealth or any money yeah, we just yeah. wanted the music and to hear just the music listen to music yeah. um when i think you know we we left we actually you know told idiot um ken Tace about the tape so he you know he did a fantastic job and ended up bringing little Anne over but when when the sound when that when when he's not around came through those speakers we both looked at each other and we're in tears you know it was just it was like finally oh, that, that's yeah. the, tra- the second track we played that was off the acetate yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, and that was covered up at one stage it was covered up as uh, rose valentine yeah and uh, and then the other the deep shadows track unfortunately little Anne died in 2005 i think was it no no earlier than that just a bit early, but and the Deep Shadows track, which was also on the master tapes, 
was picked up by Nike as their advert in the States. In the States, yeah. So, they, you know, there must have been hundreds of thousands in whatever payment for that. Yeah. Roy royalties, which she never saw or never saw the success. But, you know, AD did bring her over for the Cleethorpes concert and she got to see two, three thousand people like so just what, adoring the music. What's the status with the with the second track we played then? What's the status? Is that just acetate only still? Uh, which one? Uh, the, the second one? Uh, the, no, it's been, it's been released. It's been released yeah, it's now? Been released, yeah, it's on been released. On, it's been released on Kent. On Kent, yeah. Uh, yeah. And on, I think okay. it's been on sub-leased on other, other labels as well. And then we so. played another one, uh, Simon Hunt. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, he won't stay. Uh, I sold that record, I, I found that record in Popcorn's basement. Um, Gilly had been, to, been there many times uh, and he was really friendly with Popcorn, so he just sort of let you go down and go through the things and I found this acetate and played it. I think it, it sounds very much like Dee Dee Warwick to me. Uh, it's just a, you know, fantastic, but Simon Hunt sounds like D.D. Warwick. No. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm in the right room. <laughs> I'm a wandering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So. You, mean, you mean the song, the arrangements? Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Simon Hunt, okay. I actually, we, I sold the record to him for some unknown, bizarre reason. I don't know why, and I, I'd love to buy it back, but he wants about 10,000 now for it, so. Wow. <laughs> and, and what was the year you, you were in the basement? Uh, that was uh, 92. 92? Yeah. Yeah. And, and now you reckon the, the original's worth that kind of money? Yeah. Well, it's probably not worth it, but that's what you only got nine. You only got 9,000 for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In your dreams. I wish I had, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Six minutes past 11, you with Colin Curtis on Hit Mix Radio 107.5. 54 to go. You may get a better understanding. I wonder why my woman loves me. Have you ever asked yourself that? Listen to this. I wonder why my woman loves me. Yeah, you better think about it. Stay. 
since I never will. Oh, 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 oh. Never, never, never let you go.
guys, very much choices from uh, Andy tonight, and uh, we kicked off there, and I know Steve Plum's fawning all over this one on Haley Records, um, and that label's owned by... Rob Moss. Rob Moss, yeah. there you go. And uh, that was the track called I Wonder Why. Tell me a little bit about that, because uh, I'm yeah, it's just a period now, this is, this is a period of uh, when the crossover, Rod Deer, Love at Thorn, and uh, Tim Brown, and it was uh, a new era for me. Uh, I'd sort of lost a bit of direction with everything um i'd been to stafford and you know, i enjoyed bits of it and but i was really in the crossover for me was started the last hour of the mecca that's where i got to love crossover as it wasn't called that wasn't called that but, but, but yes yeah, that, that but, was yeah, yeah, so. I, I mean i think i think the mecca was part of the development of what people call modern soul whether you whether you look at that as 70s or whether you look at that as new yeah. releases we were playing new releases alongside this kind of record yeah. and finding records that fitted into that category for the last to, i can't even think of it would it be about 93 94 would it would, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Rod, I remember Rod Dillow sending me this tape and it was just, it was incredible, you know, that Cy Ito was on it, John Edwards were on it. Um, there was the whole tape, I loved every track, Charisma, just so many great records. The, the Cy Hightower was on uh, Acetate. Um, he got, uh, it got, I think he eventually sold it. Um, I don't know how much for, but even going back then, somebody told me he could have brought a brand new car with it. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Butch has since got one, so... It should be played. But, you know, that, that record's been out on Ailey for a good 15 years. I've never heard it out. No. Which is, you know, I'm a collector, I love originals, but, you know, please, let's have some common sense about this and let's get these great records out to this new crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. because yeah. You, what we're going to do, just sit on it, you know, it, it's incredible, incredible record. And um, then we moved to Ron Anderson and the uh, connection, of course, of John Anderson and John... Just, I, I will throw this in because it made me smile at the time. John Anderson said that the Rod Deal of was he, he wouldn't spend more than fifty p on any record. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to be able to put tapes together of that quality from yeah, from buying yeah. records at, at them that, kind of yeah, prices yeah. Is, is brilliant. But I think if, if you go back to what we talked about tonight, if you go right back to the start, you know the development and influences. So I mean, for myself and Twisted Wheel, and you, you know, you'd be seventy, so sort of kind of torch era, and then we went on to Blackpool. And there's always been clubs to to kind of guide the way. And then all of a sudden there wasn't, and 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 everybody is is kind of creating their own thing. Yeah. And that's what you guys did, you and Bully, and you you, you kind of created you, you, your own scene, if you will, by playing great soul records. Yeah, I mean when Thorn kicked off and. And Terry Jones had been doing it down in Norfolk Village as well, alongside it. Yep. But Thorn was like a meeting of people that were into deep soul, mid-tempo soul, and the voices. People like Dave Weldon and Brian Goucher and Alan Darker. Yep. You know, it just all appeared one night, you know, and it was, it was a coming together. And that followed through to the, the weekenders and everything else. I'm just touching on John Anderson because... The guy, I, one of my big regrets in life is I never went to Soul Bowl, and I've always sort of stood back and not pushed myself forward, um, thinking that you know you have not got the knowledge to talk to these people and whatever. <coughs> I did eventually get to know John uh, um, later, um, but I'd been going to the states, and you know wherever I've been in the states, and I've been all over. It's just amazing. He's been every everybody Everyone. knows him. I Everyone. mean. Just everybody. everybody knows him, and everybody, nobody's got a bad word to say no. about him. It's, you know, he, 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 even wandering around on his own in, in places like Harlem, I mean, the, the conversations I've had with him, you know, but, and, 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 you know, the American dealers themselves would say, well, he's crazy to go into those areas, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and then another dealer, I remember, said something like, well, 
He's six foot five. He's Scottish. <laughs> and he's got an afro. <laughs> ain't no, ain't no black guys gonna go yeah, near. Yeah, but the quantity, the quantities he was buying as well were just like you know. I, I, I spoke to people where he was having you know, like just buying fifty thousand. Well, time that, 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 that was two quotes, wasn't it? The first quote being that you know that this guy shipped back a million records yeah. to to the UK, and then another one says, "Don't ask me." Ask this Scottish guy. He's got all the real American records <laughs> that I used to own. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and he did. <coughs> I think he quickly worked out because I know John. You know, right from the start. I mean, John used to call me from a payphone with a discotron, playing the records over the phone. Sometimes it would be raining. Sometimes the you know the the, the phone would go and press, press button A and trying to get something yeah. else in. But uh, the first time he rang me, and and, and this is in the obituary from his funeral, and he said. You don't know me, but <laughs> I'm Jan Anderson from Scotland, and I can't do Scottish accents. But he, you know, he, he he was just phenomenal. He looked after me like I was his son. It was. I, um, I just could not believe the relationship. Yeah. You know, and I would go down there that that horrendous trip to Kings Lynn. It was a real horrible because he he rang me one day and said, "Come." Good news, he says, I'm coming down to England. I said, fantastic, we don't have to do all the posting and the phone calls. Yeah, he said, I'm going to live in Kingsley. I said, Kingsley's further away than Scotland. Wow. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> it, going down there and, and finding all that stuff and, and going through all that stuff and staying for a couple of days, his wife, Marissa, was fantastic. Um, and yeah, he looked after me. Yeah, I mean, Bernie Williams for four quid and Tamangos for four quid and yeah. yeah, I mean he was giving me the best of the best and then what Willabine would do is whack down a thousand pounds on the counter and then he would go through the other stuff, the stuff that John had supposedly gone through. But out of that would come Eddie Foster. Yeah. Is it you know out it, of that would come other great records that, that you know because nobody could filter everything and nobody even even the American dealers, like they say, is the greatest record dealer. They've I, ever known, you know. Yeah, uh, and you know, there was, you know, people like Dave Thorley, fantastic diggers that yes. go out like and uh, Manship, and yeah, you know, yeah. and it's hard, it's hard, you know, out there digging. Um, but he was just a different league. So. Yes, and 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 Butch, I mean, Butch, and Butch, Butch yeah, based, and, based his plan on yeah. on 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 Anderson. You know, he didn't go to Anderson for information, but he said exactly the same yeah, as you yeah. that he went here and he went there. Uh, and and say, the strange thing you, is, uh, we do, you know, when you're out there. It's crazy. You do put yourself in the most stupid positions for a bit of vinyl. You yes. Know? Um, yes. We, we've, you know, Bully's been with me in Baltimore in places where, you know, we've been hiding under the car seat, more or less. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and well, he endures a few scrapes, didn't he? I mean, I know, yeah. I know he had one very, very good trip, you know, where he waited yeah. around thinking nothing was going to happen, and then all of a sudden yeah. he, he found, you know, an absolute... Funnily enough, just going back to my first trip, I remember, that's another thing, because I went in a shop in LA on Pico Boulevard, Pico's Records, and this uh, elderly lady that was in there, Jane, and uh, I'm looking through the records, and she said, uh, do you know... Ian Dewurst and Simon Susan. <laughs> like again, you know, it's crazy. You know, they only hooked up with Simon, didn't they? I, I mean, I've got plenty of stories of Susan and some of them. Well, one of my favourite. When we talk about places, we I, I, we checked out somewhere in New Orleans with my wife one day, and the, the guy says on the Valley Car Parking at the hotel, he said, you know, "I don't stop at those places with Gilly. We've got Valley Car Parking when I go with Ali." And uh, the Valley said, uh, "Where are you going?" And I said. Um, of Martin Luther King Drive, and he said, you don't want to go down there. And my wife says, he'll go now, you said that. <laughs> so he said, no, really, you don't want to go. So we got and she says, should we go? I says, we'll drive around, we'll do a reconnaissance and see what it's like. So we drove around, and then 
there was a good looking record store there so I said right you drive drop me off and then come back and pitch, pick me up in five minutes like so and we went by this store and there's lots of you know the, the brothers were out out in the odd so I jumped out the car ran in the shop and I looked round and this guy said I said any records he went next block <laughs> I got the wrong shop I was in an hairdresser's <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the music. Let's go back to the uh, Ron Henderson track, Love Is Gone. Yeah, tell us about that. Um, it was an uh, album-only track. Um, I don't know if was was Dave involved with John when when that came out. Uh, Dave Weldon. Uh, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm, I know that yeah, John put it out. Yeah, yeah great yeah, fan. And, 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 and Bully was saying it might have come out on on another label as well uh, later. He says, he says it came out on Kent. But it was okay. just an uh, album only. I think it's on Chelsea, but it's okay. just you know one of those. Wonderful yeah, I think it was on Chelsea. Which, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, needs needs to be heard. And yeah, John yeah. John loved the album. He wanted to get behind it. Yeah, I know yeah. That. And uh, I, I'm guilty if I'm out. I, I don't tend to play that record because I've not got the original album. But how stupid is it? You know, it's well, such well, a fantastic it doesn't, record. It doesn't matter. And then um, we, we went into Millie Jackson, You Can't Stand the Thought of Another Man. Yeah, so it's just a special record for me, and uh, we'd, when I set the Memphis trip... Written, of course, by Philip Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. Um, Philip Mitchell came to... Well, he'd been to England a few times, and uh, Bill Bow did an incredible performance. Um, as, as he did when he came to Caligrand, yeah. He yeah, was brilliant. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Memphis, uh, setting that was probably one of the most rewarding things I've done in my life. And just by accident, you know, we, uh, I was at, over in Memphis and uh, we're in Stax. It's, the Stax studio has been turned into a museum. Fantastic city. I mean, if you ever get a chance, if you've not been Memphis, go visit because it's got soul running through every, like... Yeah, yeah. It's there through, through the cobbled streets and everything. It's wonderful. I'm dangerous, but wonderful. Um, but I'm in Stack Studio, and it was coming up to my 60th, and I just thought, what a great place for a party. So I, I sent, um, I went to him, I said, can you hire it? And they said, yeah. So I put a message on Facebook, anybody fancy going to a party in Stack Studios? And th this is what drove that trip, And then yeah. suddenly, bang, 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 I just wow. got all these, and, and, and within an hour, I got like 150 things. So yeah. I actually, I, we were back at the hotel, I pulled me... Uh, that makes you more popular than Donald Trump, he can't yeah. shift on <laughs> But so we, we, we put this trip together, which I got no idea what, you know, what was involved. Um, eventually, you know, we had um, Millie Jackson on, we had uh, Masqueraders, Timmy Thomas came for the week. Um, we had, uh, who else did we have, Bully? William Bell, Eddie Floyd, the dream, Masqueraders. Dream stuff, isn't it? Dream stuff. John Gary Williams. I mean, um, firstly, Millie, um, I, you know, for me to meet, I met my wife through Millie Jackson. Um, she came up to me one night and said, you know, a record called Loving Arms, and uh, I think she just wanted to get to know me, but, I, you know, I said, yeah, Millie Jack. Can't imagine why. Yeah, yeah, exactly, no. But, um, from that, dark. yeah, so I, we were in Muscle Shoals, and somebody gave me Millie Jackson's number, um, and wow. I, I rang her, and she, this voice said, uh, we were both nervous, sat on the edge of the bed on a Sunday morning, I rang this number, and this voice went, Hello? And I said, is that Billy Jackson? She goes, yeah. I said, you don't know me. I said, my name's Andy Taylor. I'm from England. I'm thinking of setting a trip up in uh, to Memphis and uh, I'd like to be involved. And she went, get to the point, Andy. <laughs> she, <laughs> doesn't yeah, yeah. No, she doesn't do messing about. No messing about. about. There's, so no, there's no yeah, I said, I, said I, need, no. I said, I need, I need 10 minutes with you just to... Yeah, yeah, and yeah. she says, where are you? I said, I'm in Muscle Show. She goes, I'm in Atlanta. I'm six hours away. I said, I'll be there. And I went over there, and I rung her the next day, and I said, I'm in Atlanta, and she says, 
did I say today? And I said, yeah. And she says, oh, I'm busy. I said, Millie, I'll wait two weeks, you know. Yeah. And she says, come round at 12. And she gave me her address. And I said, is that your office? She goes, no, that's my home. And we went round and spent the afternoon with Millie Jackson. In wow. It was incredible. incredible. That does not get any better. No, it doesn't. Not, you know, it's uh, so fortunate. We continue. Remember no one is big enough Or to go it alone Just ask the lonely They know the hurt and pain Of losing a love you will never Young and foolish laugh at love That's so out of way Can't you see their smiles? They're confident and sure That faith, that faith will bring another love their way But at the lonely How vainly a heart can yearn Story too hard you to believe. believe They'll tell you the loneliest one is me Just that's the lonely, the lonely Curtis, I will just remind you, of course, Saturday, October the 14th, another Tiffany's revival, if you're local or even if you don't, we've got people travelling from all over, myself, Soul Sam, John Murphy, Pep, Tim Bendy, Nigel Brown, Barry Malidi, doesn't get much tougher than that, Saturday the 14th of October, that's All Sages Civic Hall, that's on Lawton Road in All Sages. T72AE. You can get advanced tickets on Skittle. If you go onto my page or Janet Crow's page, you can find the information for that. Tickets available from Suzanne Pacente, also from John Murphy locally. That's myself, Soul Sam, John Murphy, Pep, Tim Ashibandi, Nigel Brown, and Barry Malidi. Saturday, the 14th of October. Tiffany's Revival. Also, just a recall. In between this one and that one. Yes. <laughs> 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 
John Gary Williams, of course, with a brilliant version by Saloni, but somebody reminded it, they went somewhere and told me they played it, so I dug the album out and uh, I could play it for the rest of the day. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. The whole world is a picture show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the world's going crazy. Um, I've got to play that. It's another, when, when we did Memphis, um, obviously, uh, John Gary Williams was still alive and uh, Mike and Jenny Charlton that uh, set the Memphis thing up with me. Uh, one day we were. Um, me and Mike were out and uh, we were with um, John Gary and he said, uh, we went back to his home and we walked in his house and Randy Brown and Bertram Brown had sat on a settee <laughs> and it's like, Craig never, never mentioned it, you know, we were just like and we said, can, can you guys perform for us, you know, which they, they did eventually on Saturday night but they, were, they went, no, no, can't do it man can't, can't do it and I said, why you, you know, you're all together, you know practicing he says we've we haven't got any suits <laughs> and that's just just how sad the situation is yeah, yeah. you know says we'll get your suits don't worry about it and they perform for us they're just absolutely fantastic he, he talked a little bit about, about that when he came to blackpool yeah, uh, yeah that, that you, talk, you know the, the difficulties and uh, i mean a lot of record companies in the 70s so you know i mean to get on the la on on these major labels i mean people weren't always paid properly and, and of course in the interim uh, that style of music's gone out of fashion and, and there's no deals for them and, and no live shows in America either so yeah. very difficult to see artists of this calibre yeah there is, a, there is a, a lady in Memphis Wayne Jackson's wife Amy Jackson and when Wayne died um, she became a, a, a lawyer barrister and she's chasing royalties for these people and yeah. being quite successful and Good. She's, she's a hand dog she gets her teeth into it I know Randy's uh, Randy's biggest record is it's Christmas time I mean that great catalogue of records but yes. his biggest earner for him is, That's right. is Christmas time yeah, yeah because it's like the wedding songs I mean a lot of, yeah. of song records yeah. that, you know, have, have got connotations there that yeah. they can become very successful so we, we've done the start we've done Blackpool we've done Wigan we've done we've gone through everything tell me a little bit about the club you and Bully uh, and got going and yeah. when, when did yeah. that start uh, just so uh, 2009 2008 it, yeah we, it was um, uh, just we, we wanted a club actually where um, we could play what we want I mean the tempo was at times we were playing ballads yeah you know but still getting the full dance floor yeah um, just a getting the, the right soulful crowd in and um, so we could basically go anywhere. So where was this happening? I was at Barmby Moor in, uh, in Retford and uh, Sean Empsey and Kev Briscoe, um, both, you know, great soul collectors and a, a bit twinned along with the uh, uh, Yarmouth Soul Essence group yeah. and then Bill Bauer as well, it's all mm -hmm. sort of fits into that same category. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, a different vibe, I mean... Uh, We'll, I'll play you some examples of what we've been playing there because um, it might, you know, I don't think most people realise that these clubs are out there playing that sort of music. No, I don't think so. I, and, I, and I think, you know, you, you, you've already touched on the fact that, that everybody got a little bit lost. You know, there wasn't specific clubs. Everybody was trying to create something. You know, the same way I, you know, I created Vibe and created Freestyle yeah. and Long Bajonic Crow. And, you know, these are things where you've just got to push and feel. I mean, yeah. going back to the 80s with with Berlin that I did in Manchester, you know, and, and, and opening up the whole thing with Dean Johnson and these different people came yeah. along and took away something from that. Yeah, yeah. And then create yeah, something. Yeah, that, yeah, and yeah. I think that's what you yeah, guys have yeah, done. Yeah. You created a combination of passion uh, yeah, yeah. and, 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 and we get, fellowship. You know, yeah, and people came from, you know, Paul Thrower come, Jim from Stoke. Um, just, you know, well, you probably a lot of the, the people that are termed deep soul collectors, probably. Yeah. Um, just... Uh, 
and northeast guy. Well, you, it wasn't just for City that. I mean, Bully's intimated earlier on some of these records of five pounds or two pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That didn't yeah. matter. It didn't did matter. It? Yeah, it didn't yeah, matter. Yeah, it didn't matter. Great records. Yeah. We talked about this guy because he was a massive part of my life in the 70s. And to meet him at Blackpool, well, and you're telling me he's on the settee and he hasn't got a suit. And he sang this in stacks for us. Mike and Jenny, thank you so much.
talking about, you see This sees a world that's full of confusion People not knowing who to trust No, and he's wondering why we still can't deal With this world he gave to us
before you ask for respect Check and see if you've given yourself What you're trying to get Go on, of course, the album. So many classics on there. Child of the Streets. Worn Out Broken Hearts. Delivers it with such passion and uh, writes most of his music as well. Sam D's and Worn Out... Well, not Worn Out Broken Heart. That was what's it going to be. And uh, Andy, we're, we're at 23.53. We've just played Teddy Pendergrass. He played a part in Blackpool, Mecca, obviously on the dance tracks, but then yeah, you know, yeah. the, the, the laid-back stuff as well. You yeah, know that's sort I mean? of... When, when we set um, Just Soul Up, you know, we, we played tracks like that, and it, it was hit and miss whether you knew it was going to work or not, but that, that particular track, um, people obviously grew up with the album and loved it, and, yeah. the, you know, the floor... Just feel I mean, close the door and fall into that category. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of fills the floor without and, being uh, a dancer. The, the Betty Swan, I, I play, I sometimes play that at Blackpool, so big shout out to actually to Plummy, Flanny, Basmalidi, and Jed as well. 
and uh, my mate Jim O'Hara up in Scotland's listening in, I think. So. Jed, Jed's that much of a soul fan, that Jed Lunter's that much of a soul fan. He's had to build an, an, another building in his garden to put the records in. I'm that much and of a soul fan that I've missed Forrest tonight. Beating that, Sheffield that, United that, that, to come that, here that, that to be with my... That is heavy. My hero from... Uh, but they've won, the they've won without your support. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we went on to Betty Swan. Oh, Betty Swan. And the voice is just one of the greatest voices for me of soul music. Right and right. when she appeared at Cleethorpes, when AD, that was a beast of the resistance. And just absolutely everything to see that girl on stage. Put, put some miles in that one, hasn't he, uh, AD? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. And brought so much music to everyone's attention as well yeah. as live acts and uh, there's the sleep. Yeah, like, like you were just saying, you know, we're just, we're just so fortunate to have had this music and shared it all together. Um, it's been a fantastic time. So so you did just soul and that ran from what, do you say 2009? Well, I think it was for five years, did it? Yeah, yeah about five years and then... Um, what so, so what are you doing now? Uh... Not a lot, to be honest. Going to the States, looking for records with and looking for master tapes and enjoying my life. And Do, do, uh, do, do, you, th do you think there's another night? Do you think there's something else there? Uh, possibly, yeah, I'd like to do it. I like, yeah, I like the, inter you know, a small intimate venue where you can... I, th I think with the, with the age everybody's getting to, and you know, particularly that follow yeah. this, uh, I think I think that's the way, you know, I'm thinking more downsizing to get uh, the quality back in yeah. and to get the right people in the venue, because that's what's crucial on all the venues, even even the bigger, yeah, more successful yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. Crucial to get the right people at the right time. So quickly tell us about this last record. Uh, yeah, well, it's, just, it's so special to me. It's another story, I'm afraid. Um, I was with Mike and Jenny in Memphis, and I'm not named up him, but Friendly Womack rang us, and he went, I've been talking to Roscoe Robinson, which Friendly Womack talks to him on a daily basis, apparently. And, uh, <laughs> That's enough. Yeah, it is, yeah. And he says, I've got Roscoe's number, can you ring him? So I said, yeah, he will do. So we rang, and uh, Jenny and Mike were leaving in the morning, and uh, I rang him, and... So this voice goes, hey, Roscoe. I says, hey, Roscoe, great to... We loved, loved your music, loved That's Enough and your fame sides and everything. And uh, Grace goes, where are you, man? Where are you? I says, we're in Memphis. He said, oh, I'll come meet you. I says, where are you? He says, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. I said, that's six-hour drive. <laughs> he said, that's okay, man, I'll come, I'll come. I said, well, are you going to drive yourself? He says, yeah. I said, no, you can't do that. I said, <laughs> I said, Mike and Jenny's leaving in the morning, they're leaving, and then I'm leaving Saturday morning from Nashville. It was Thursday. So I said, I'll catch you. Next time we come, we'll, we'll go and see you. So I went back to the hotel, 2.30. I wake up in the middle of no, Well, I didn't get sleep, actually. I'm thinking about him. This guy, nine, 90 years old, who prepared to yeah, drive yeah. up to meet yeah, us. Yeah. So I checked out the hotel, drove through the night to Birmingham, Alabama, um, it's like Roy Orbison. Isn't yeah, it? crazy. I, it was, and the sun was. It was like really romantic. The sun coming up. I drove all night. Yeah, it was. I, and when I get there, right? When I get there, Roscoe is sat on his front porch. He's got an oxygen mask going through no. through to the kitchen. And, and you're not going to hear on the record if you you're not. not okay, up. quickly. So he invites me into, into the house. Dave Thorley's been before. I know this. And there's a revolver on the kitchen table. Like, and I'm not, you know, I'm a, like a real big gunslinging thing, but it plays me this track, and uh, I, I went, I, I licensed this track off him, I just fell in love with it. Uh, I, I said to him, I'll give you a thousand dollars for it. Basically, he said, mm, I want twelve hundred. <laughs> so, I'm thinking, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not even, I'm not even released it. Yeah, we, 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 we've not released it, but as I'm leaving, like, he said, he just put his arm around me and he went, goes, 
he goes, Andy, I really like you. He said, I, I didn't really want 1200 He says, I only asked you for 1200 because you never asked Roscoe what he wanted. Yeah. <laughs> There's a story for life there, I'll never forget it. So hopefully one day it'll see the light. I, I hope somebody else loves it out there because I, I adore it. Andy Taylor, it's been absolutely fantastic. I'm going to bring you back next year. I'm also going to bring back your pilot here, who's now got to pilot you back to... Yeah, uh, no, it's to been a really, really real, real pleasure, real fantastic, honor to be Fantastic music, fantastic stories. Uh, big shout to you, big shout to Bully as well. And um, we'll see you soon. Okay, it's been Colin Curtis on another Soul Series special, a very special Soul Series special. Well, I bet you any amount of money she'll be coming back to you. Oh, I know there ain't no doubt about it. Sometime life is funny. You think you in your darkest hour Gonna leave you Don't forget I'm back in the studio Sunday With Jazz Dance and Fusion That's 2 o'clock to 5 Got some big hitters for you And also tales of We Out Here Festival Brandy Taylor and Bully Making a very special soul show tonight Thank you very much indeed She's been out of your sight At least for the moment But when something this strong Gets a hold on you Dodge a 99 to 1 